So they had to use mm-hmm. real stories and they just lied about when they happened and where. And uh, yeah. this just, this always works. They just kept reusing the strategy over and over. So my hypothesis. The original predictive programming. <laughs> right, yeah. My hypothesis was if Mars had humans on it that were desperate to reassert control of Earth because now they're broken away. Now they're not receiving cargo or resources. Um, they can't even have babies on that planet. It's just really bad. Maybe they can, but it's just, it's not like Earth. It's not, it's not a real planet. It's a primordial leftover Mars is compared to the Earth. And so you can understand the, the, the need that people on that planet would have for hundreds of years. They would dive directly into their advanced technology. They would use it to stay alive where they wouldn't be able to. It's all just sitting on the surface, like I said. Everything I need to build robots and, uh, and carve out cities and canals and, and actually live on that planet. Um, so they did this right after the breakaway of civilization. They started doing everything they need to stay alive. But they also started laying plans to reassert control over Earth. Now, how does somebody do this? Uh, you think we build a bunch of spaceships and go to Earth, right? It's not that easy. We're talking about before that technology was invented. It's also very difficult to travel through space. If you do travel through space, if you get to Earth, if you've been born on Mars in a very cold environment your whole life, you're not going to like it here on Earth. You're going to get sick. It's just going to be a lot of problems. They can't invade like that. They can't show themselves and they can't even give let us know that they're doing this. So they um, the only plan that they had left was literally to revert back to their original plan, which always worked, pretend that they are representing invisible deities on earth inside temples, speak to the people and say, I am your God. Do these things for me. If you do these things for me, uh, grant your wishes, I'll just slay your enemies, all kinds of stuff like that. And then these things happen. These stories are recorded many, many ways. The jinn, for example, in uh, the Quran uh, would grant wishes to people in societies that would sort of betray the rest of their society. Um, we see this influence coming from somewhere. People say, you know, demons and stuff. But it could be telepaths, telepathic humans on Mars during opposition. They just, they're, they're, they're planning this and they're doing it because they have ancient rituals from Egyptian empire that tell them exactly how to do this. They're just They're starting all up again. So that's one. You get people on Earth to form secret societies and worship you as a god. Two, now you have to you have to actually conquest on Earth. You have to form a conquest and take over land and assert control yeah. in an absolute way. Otherwise, Divide. they're eventually going to figure you out. This apparently took the deep state, which doesn't necessarily have to be on Mars. It could be anywhere, anywhere hidden. It took them 100 years, starting with Fomenko's year zero, before any wars happened before the first crusades and it was very hard for them to even get humans on earth to fight. Here's how they did it. You got the Rus horde empire known as Tataria by the Westerners. And this is from Russia to Siberia. It's the entire East and stretching into America as well. Grand Tataria was the first Holy real shit. empire. Right. And why was it an empire? There were no empires back then. People you know, didn't believe in emperors or they, they money or usury or anything back then. So you didn't have empires. The first empire happened because of the first crusade. And the first crusade happened because of the Jesus story. So who's Jesus? I'm going to give you my research on the historical version. First of all, according to Fimenko, Jesus was from the Rusord Empire, from the East. He wasn't named Jesus. They don't have letter J in the Greek alphabet or acrylic. Um, his name was Andronicus. It's Russian names, oh. Russian names. And um, mm-hmm. he was remembered as an emperor, actually. And he was called Christ because Christ means anointed one. It doesn't mean son of God. It just means somebody 
that's special, anointed in some way. Why was he special? Because in three different uh, testimonies, his mother, Mary, told everyone that she had become pregnant without, you know, being conceived. That it was a virgin birth. This isn't actually unique. It does happen in modern times. It's possible. But um, there's also another reason that happens to her and that she's so special. She was a giant. Mary was a giant. Jesus was a giant. Compared to the Westerners, yeah, they were from the Rusford Empire. And in many paintings, you actually see that they are pretty big in size. They're like the size of the doors and stuff. There's this one documentary called Harry Mary. You can look it up. It's an entire testimony of the idea that she was Harry, you know, as a giant. She's just um, just one of those Bruce Horde eclectic kind of looking people. They, they all different shapes and sizes and everything. <laughs> Some of them had dog heads. It's totally different from the West. I just recently heard that the Vatican wears like uh, some hair type garments. Have you heard that before? They do crazy stuff. Yeah, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. Motherfucking ashes. ashes. I'm Danny Naki Dan. And I'm the homie Romy. What is going on with you? What's up, man? So, as you can hear from the intro, we got Ari Aslin on the show today. It's a fantastic, great, interesting. So good. <laughs> it's awesome. It's about the electric universe and how, the, if the universe is really an electric universe, how things could have played out, how stars and planets could have formed, or how things on Earth could have happened based on the electric universe theory. And it is fucking far out. It is it's super far su- out. It's super interesting, though. And there's yeah. a lot of things that kind of, that do kind of ring true. So it's an interesting one. I, I think all of you are really going to enjoy that a lot. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Just editing it, I was like, "Oh man, this is so good." So, <laughs> yeah my f- my favorite takeaway from it was uh, when we when we were discussing about like the golden age or the golden era of Earth and uh, the planetary alignments and the Martian, uh, yeah, the Martian culture like that. That shit is just wild. And we're gonna have them on again. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll get them. We'll, we'll get them on again. Oh, yeah, the, the Stargate Star- portals. Yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> definitely. Okay. I mean, everything ties in. There's there's definitely portals. I, I don't, I just, I'm telling you guys, I opened one up last night, jumped through, slid <laughs> down the slide. And like, I did a 24 hour loop in the, uh, in the stars through the OG split in the sky, came back down and, um, yeah, it had been 24 hours and, uh, my soul was reincarnated. It was beautiful. <laughs> wow man you must have been on some good shit bro absolutely i was on that 
It was, a, it was in a salt water bath. It's perfect. Oh, nice. Excellent. So, in a little bit of pre-news, pre news, we've had a couple emails and comments lately. Comments. So, I'm just going to read, read. Uh, one of them. Why, why do you gotta? Why do you gotta come in with that uh, background shit? You I'm gonna just be. I'm gonna be do it to fuck with me. No, no, no. I'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you from the listener perspective. Super fire. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that true or what? Is that true? Yep. No, it it really is because. <clears throat> well, we'll have you guys tell us, okay? When you have that little bit of echo at the same time, right? It's just that little bit of. Just that little bit of pillow, that little bit of little tuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever, dude. Um, so tell us about these emails and these comments from uh, some of these fantastic humans. This one's from uh, Kevin. I don't want to say his last name. I don't. I don't know if you, it's cool with it or not. Kevin Cosmo. But he says, "I listened to the first five podcasts. Where's number six? This was before we had posted number six. So, you know, I sent him a nice little email back. I said, it's on its way. Hang tight. <laughs> Hang tight. He said, several synchronicities brought me to this podcast and continued as I started listening. I don't care what people think of me. I know my truth. I've been trying hard to drop crumbs as a direct approach goes against my nature. I want to do my small, tiny part to help change the direction humanity is going, but I'm at a loss on how. I appreciate your podcast. Keep up the great work, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Seriously, fuck yeah. That's dope. Kevin, you have been granted a free pass into the fire tribe. <laughs> That's dope, dude. I like <laughs> that. You should keep that doing that shit. All right, all right. All right, and the next one comes from Andrew. I don't want to say his last name either, unless he's cool with it. Andrew Cosmic. Yeah, he (laughs) says, you guys are easily the greatest podcast in the game. I'll take it. Wow, man. Wow. I said, hey, thanks, man. We appreciate it. We try our best to bring some knowledge and keep it real. What's your favorite episode so far? He said, the ones with Sergio are incredible. Also, Tommy Chong, I love the spiritual talks. You guys are so on point with everything. It all resonates with me. The plant medicine is amazing, and anything diet-related is huge, too. We talked a little more, but that's sufficient for the the email. What's his name again? His His name is Andrew. Andrew. You have been granted a free pass into the Fire Tribe. Welcome. Rise. (laughs) That's dope as fuck, dude. I love that shit. Wizard of Oz. It's so awesome, dude. Yeah. Uh, So in other news, we just added ourselves to Telegram. Myself, Danny Unaki Dan, and the homie Romy are both, both on Telegram. Uh, check the ads and also check the ads. Uh, we we have a rising from the ashes chat room on telegram so come join up in the chat room in the future once we get enough people we're going to be doing some live 
fireball episodes, perhaps some not live. Uh, I think we've mentioned before something called bring it to the table where we're going to like, you know, have some people on and exchange some ideas and bring up a topic and talk about it. Slap still kind of still kind of the same idea, but we're going to be calling it fireball episodes. And we're going to try to include you guys in that. And some people might get invited solely by themselves to talk. And some we might open up to everybody uh, to chat with us. Once we kind of figure out how we're going to get that going, we'll let you know. So stay tuned for those things in the future. And without further ado, let's get into the, the RFTA news. All right, man. What you got for us today, homie? Okay, so I'm still waiting to go deeper down the salt rabbit hole rabbit hole with y'all. But today we're gonna talk about the benefits of salt baths and salt soaks and soaking in water and water consciousness, human consciousness merging together. And so I pulled a bunch of different studies and a bunch of different info from a lot of different sources to come up with this. So it's going to be a little bit here. I'm just going to go and read it and, uh, and then y'all can make your, uh, your interpretations and hypotheses with all these different studies and uh, articles and such. So starting from the top. Roll that beautiful bean footage. All right. (laughs) Uh, Benefits of sea salt bath. Okay. Sea salts have a high magnesium content and maybe the best types to add to baths for those with skin issues. Getting enough sodium, regardless of the type of salt it's from, is important for hydration and blood pressure. Some research suggests that it also may aid digestion and improve skin issues when added to baths. And there are so many salts out there that contain different minerals. It's astounding. And just as important to vital and vital to human health is oxygen. Now, real quick, let's get into salt with just lightly a stroke of what mineral salts are. Mineral salts are inorganic compounds, which can be easily found in nature, whether in geological, water, or even biological sources such as solid structural elements, bones, shells, and exoskeletons. And there are necessary elements for the functioning of the body. So in this article, we're going to deepen the mineral salts and their function in our organism. Let's get started. What are mineral salts? Before talking about the function of mineral salts, it is important to remember what the structure of this element is. When we speak of a salt, we refer to a molecule formed by atoms that are usually ionized, i.e. with a certain electrical charge. These elements can be disassociated as they are dissolved in water due to their polar nature in this liquid, which separates the ions, which i.e. is what makes them inorganic. These substances can be found in our organism as well as in nature, both in our bodies. In a rash form, the solid form, and ionic form, dissolved, most salts consist calcium, phosphorus, magnesium. The so-called macro minerals are simply calcium already represents 2% of our total body weight. 
Also, the salts of sodium, chlorine, potassium, phosphorus are abundant, and even nitrogen salts. Some of them are freely found in the blood, but others are associated with the specific biomolecules and are precipitated into solid structures, such as our bones. And the functions of the salts in the body. Mineral salts are necessary for life, and each its fair share. Among the functions they perform, we will find that they are in charge of tasks as varied as maintenance of correct osmotic pressure in various intra and extracellular uh, media, damping the sudden pH changes due to the shitty American diet, catalyzing, oh, not to mention the stress, cattle and the fluoride in the water and all the other bullshit in the water. <clears throat> Uh, catalyzing the bioreactions, oxygen transportation, blood clotting, neuromuscular communication, very important, uh, contracile muscle activity, among others. The vital importance of mineral elements in our organism is very clear, both on the macro elements and trace elements. Inorganic compounds of which we need very small quantities, such as manganese, iodine, or copper. Well, that's right. Within the ends functions does not enter the generation of energy. Although they may intervene indirectly in their production, mineral salts do not serve as sustenance. That is the role reserved for organic molecules, such as fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. So macro minerals and the trace elements. The most common atomic elements in living beings are carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and hydrogen, and are completely indispensable for the development of life and are needed in greater quantity. And as they make up the majority of organic molecules, the rest of the elements are also necessary for the correct functioning of the body. But the qualities or the quantities require are, that are required are much smaller. And we can find macro minerals such as calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, sodium, chlorine, and potassium. All of them are also essential elements for life, but they represent a minor fraction of our weight. It is impossible to have deficiencies in some of these elements, which lead to serious diseases such as osteoporosis, cancer, in the case of calcium, hypertension, or nervous problems, in the case of magnesium, which is very, very relevant in most people's daily lives, unfortunately. Elements that are needed in smaller quantities are called trace elements, and they're found in tiny proportions within organisms, but are also required for them to function properly. These trace elements are obtained mainly from food, and some of them, such as cobalt, which is uh, cobalamin and vitamin B12, cannot be assimilated directly by animals. So, in fact, the bioavailability of many trace elements depends on the ecosystem organisms that degrade and recycle matter, such as fungi or bacteria. And it's the bacteria that are the only ones capable of metabolizing cobalt. And other trace elements, mineral salts, can be obtained directly from the environment, either dissolved in water by uh, geophagial practices, or there are animals that eat soil or lick saline deposits, which Lick. are the... <laughs> like, uh, which are the apparent aim of maintaining their levels of mineral elements. Mineral elements. Yes. And the types, <laughs> the types of mineral salts according to their state. Okay. We have precipitated salts. Precipitated salts are found in solid form, usually crystalline, inside and outside living organisms. We find many examples of precipitated salts in nature, but some are more common than others. On the other hand, we have silicates, molecules formed mainly by oxygen and silicon. Glass, for example, is made of silicates, such as silicon dioxide or quartz. 
but there are living, which also <clears throat> means that like, you know, when you have the courts, if you were to charge or electromagnify that, you could create like some sort of window to the other dimension, you know. Uh, but there are living beings who are also capable of generating it, diatoms, microscopic algae that generate a small crystal capsule. We also find carbonates, which can be found in the exoskeleton of vertebrae that are also found in solid structures of vertebrae, typically associated with organic polymers such as collagen. Dissolved salts. Within the dissolved salts, we also find molecules like phosphorus and calcium. In addition to the above, there is also a wide variety of metabolic functions, such as described above, coagulation, pH control, and biocatalysts and such. Osmotic pressure plays a fundamental role in many processes, and often new osmotic potentials are obtained from the manipulation of ions such as sodium or calcium to achieve different effects on cells such as muscle contraction. So if you work out a lot, salts are obviously very important. And these minerals are very, very important for um, everybody, no matter what uh, you live, especially as, you know, we're constantly bombarded with radiation and just different types of toxins out here. Uh, healthy and balanced you are with your minerals in your body, the easier it'll be to exterminate the free radicals and such in your body. So it is important. Number three, salts associated with biomolecules, oxygen transport, and countless other cellular functions use salts in one way or another. One of the most important functions of the salts associated with biomolecules is at a structural level, where we will find, for example, phospholipids and phosphoproteins, key pieces at a meta metabolic and structural level in our organism. So, salt is absolutely necessary. And that brings us to this next, water. Water. Water, <laughs> water memory is what some theorize as the ability to retain memory of substances previously dissolved in it, even when there is a high dilution factor to the point that no molecule of that substance remains in the solution, which is interesting. Um, so many researchers show interest in the findings of Dr. Emoto and his hidden messages in water, and some are looking for the ways to transform processes that occur in water under the, under the influence of electromagnetic radiation of the human brain into signals that are comprehensible for computer. In other words, they want to invent a computer that would be operated by thoughts and others want to teach water storing the binary code. There are also those who try to find out if it is possible to change physical and chemical properties of water for special purposes. Such tendencies can one day result in a situation where theoretical science will no longer have doubts about water's memory, while high-tech specialists will be making water computers controlled by telepathy. Sweet. I found an old excerpt from a hospital article, which is an old medical magazine, uh, from 1886 titled A New Use of Telepathy in the Contemporary Theory and Research segment. A New Use for Telepathy. In the Revue des Dumans, M. Pauhan discusses some of the more practical aspects of what he terms the true hallucination. He argues that since all thought is accompanied by a movement of the brain, this movement may be transmitted to the surrounding ether and may communicate itself to other brains at a considerable distance from the point of departure by reassuming its original form. The practical outcome of this process is the case of country doctor who possessed a marvelous subject with a telepathic gift. 
When called out suddenly to a distance at night, the doctor would apply his subject, apparently with the best results, in order to ascertain the patient's disorder and be able to take with him the necessary drugs. M. Pauhan is a firm believer in the future of telepathy, holding that this old world of ours has no doubt still many surprises in reserve for us. Okay, so you picking up what I'm putting down here, where I'm going with this? No. Okay, so I'm just, I'm trying to pull it's different- all fascinating information, though. Well, I'm trying to bring a bunch of science, actual, like, you know, credible scientists talking about telepathy. Um, okay. And then so, and then I bring in the water consciousness, which can hold uh, and transport memory through electromagnetic brain waves. So the hypothesis. Yes. Oh, yes. I am actually familiar with Dr. Masaru Emoto. I actually read the book, The Hidden Messages in Water, qu- quite a while ago. And uh, it is actually very interesting. Have you, do you know about like the test? that he did on uh water crystallization yes and i have i have excerpts from that coming up it's unfortunate okay. unfortunate because they consider him pseudo pseudoscience right even though he had like a study of two thousand people yeah, um it, i i just find the whole experiment that he did pretty fascinating with absolutely uh he did it with music and with words right yeah and and notes yeah words language music well, but, if you already got it, I'm not going to talk about it. I'll I'll let you finish. Yeah, and you know, I, I I would like to dive deeper into this. I think we could probably do a whole episode on Emoto and different water consciousness and stuff like that because there's 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 a lot of studies out there. And so for this, I'm just I'm just trying to go through all these I have a bunch of different these things. So I'm trying to go, and then we'll uh, wrap it up at the end. So, so the hypothesis that water treated with intention can affect ice crystals formed from that water was pilot tested under double blind conditions. A group of approximately 2000 people in Tokyo focused positive intentions towards water samples located inside an electromagnetically shielded room in California. That group was unaware of similar water samples set aside in different locations as controls. Ice crystals formed from both sets of water samples were blindly identified and photographed by an analyst, and the resulting images were blindly assessed for aesthetic appeal by a hundred independent judges. Results indicated that crystals from the treated water were given higher scores for aesthetic appeal than those from the control water, lending support to the hypothesis. That's that. So that's that study there. Which is, it was from the NIH. So that right there was the NIH giving the first little bit of credibility to this type of study. You know, the National Institute of Health. And yeah, so that, that was kind of cool because like everywhere else you read, you know, like on scientific uh, journals and such, it's, 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 there's one I found from 1995, but it was just way too wordy. I, I didn't really want to bring it in. But I'm going to segue off of that into isolation tanks, okay? All right. So isolation tanks are a heavy salt water solution. So the they call it the re, uh, restricted environmental stimulation technique, otherwise known as REST. It's a method of relaxation where the level of environmental sensory inputs is kept very low. 
a particular rest technique called tank flotation or flotation rest consists of one hour sessions in a tank containing water with high salt content and maintain at 35.5 degrees Celsius. In this protocol, five normal subjects were studied before and after two hours after a 60 minute flotation rest session and a control session of 60 minutes in a supine position on a bed. Cortisol, thioresto stimulating hormone, T4, melatonin, LH, growth hormone, GH, beta endorphin, vasopressin, GABA, and HVA were measured in plasma after this. HVA, 5-hydroxy, VMA were measured in the urine. There were no changes in hormone concentrations that could be attributed to the flotation rest. The urinary excretion of VMA was lower after the flotation rest session. And the psychological consequences of flotation were more easily demonstrated than the neuroendocrine changes that were assumed to reflect the state of relaxation. Uh, the flotation increased subjective levels of sedation and euphoria. The possible mechanisms by which flotation rest includes relaxations are discussed. Uh, so float tank is a very heavy concentration of salt and water. And sensory uh, isolation in a float tank is a method known for inducing deep relaxation, subsequent positive health benefits for patients suffering from stress or muscle tension pains. Very few studies have investigated this method as a preventative healthcare intervention. The purposes of the study was to evaluate the effects of healthy participants after a, receiving a series of float treatments. So here's a quick study. 65 participants, 14 men and 51 women, who were all a part of a cooperative health project initiated by their individual companies were randomized to either a weightless control group or a flotation tank treatment group where they participated in a seven weeks flotation program with a total of 12 float sessions. Questionnaires measuring psychological and physiological variables such as stress and energy, depression, anxiety, optimism, pain, stress, sleep, quality, mindfulness, and degree of altered states of consciousness were used. Data were analyzed by two-way mix MANOVA and repeated measures of ANOVA. The results, stress, depression, anxiety, and worst pain were significantly decreased, whereas optimism and sleep quality significantly increased for the flotation rest group. No significant results for the group were seen, so that there were also significant correlation between mindfulness and daily life and degree of altered states of consciousness during the relaxation in the float tank. Conclusion, it was concluded that the float rest has very beneficial effects on relatively healthy participants. So to wrap it all up, to bring all of that shit together, right? You see the importance of salt on a cellular level in our body. You see the mm -hmm. importance of water which is very obvious, you know, it's very important to hydrate. But also on a spiritual, seemingly spiritual level, you have water being able to transmit electric waves, electromagnetic waves, even after they have passed through, they can hold that memory. This is something that mainstream science is just really not pushing through to say that water can hold memory. There are so many studies done on it, but it's still quackery, right? But what I'm trying to let you guys know is that when you go into water and you have intention with whatever you're in the water, it it will benefit, I promise you. 
go and if you have a bathtub at home, I highly suggest getting some really nice quality salt, putting at least one to one and a half cups in there, getting it hot and soaking in that puppy for as long as possible. See the benefits on a physical level of your skin. See the benefits of your spiritual level and upload your dreams into the ether. Get your dreams out there. Understand the goodness of manifestation when in the, the life form of water. And explore this yourselves, guys, because there's so many studies all over the place that's that's connecting consciousness to water and salt is another variable that allows it to break even deeper into helping us transport that that possible potential of telepathy and, and things like that. Yeah. Fuck yeah, with baby. <laughs> I dig it, man. I dig it. It's so good. It's so interesting. Like water and salt and so interesting, like how much. Yeah, like I was watching Michelle Gibson video today and it was talking about current and electricity through current and like water, current water mm-hmm. and like uh, all the different comparisons of like uh, electric terms, you know, to water uh, is it's fascinating and then so then you brought up water again and it's just so like so Syn- crazy man syn- like synchronistic right there man yeah it's like you know it's cool man yeah there's there's a lot of things that we don't know and it's it's fun to learn new stuff man well you know it's cool too is like i i always think about something that the the you know the bible says in the beginning which is just something fun to think about. It's not something I'm saying happened or I believe in this, but um, you know, it's also part of the flat earth paradigm too. But when God separated the waters and created the firmament, that basically our atmosphere is a different type of, of water. It's a, it's a different viscosity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I like thinking about that. I'm like, Ooh, you know, the, the, you know, we got, cause, cause the water has currents, right? It has wa- waves moving through it, wind, kind of like how we have wind and we have, you know, we have these geothermals up here and it's just, it's just like, it's just, it's all water, man, but it's different textures and consistencies. Yeah. I think that firmament quote just means the water's above and the water's below is just the water's above the equator and the water's below the equator and the firmament being the atmosphere or yeah, the yeah. atmospheric pressure the electricity lightning is an electrical discharge caused by imbalances between storm clouds and the ground or within the clouds themselves this heat causes surrounding air to rapidly expand and vibrate which creates the peeling thunder we hear a short time after seeing a lightning flash Lots of small bits of ice bump into each other as they move around. All these collisions cause a buildup of electrical charge. Eventually, the whole cloud fills up with electrical charges. The positive charge from the ground connects with a negative charge from the clouds, and a spark of lightning strikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but your brain, too, there's it, it has electrical properties, too, right? Like Yeah, yeah, sens- that's exactly. Sensory and... Uh, you know, there's there's people that have gotten hit by lightning and then have newfound abilities. Like there's this one guy that can do crazy ass math after he got struck by lightning. So so there yeah, is yeah. there is something to electricity and your brain and to like water because your brain has like a membrane around it, which is like a 
well, another the, form of water. It's yeah. like the fourth phase of water. It's like the water gel. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's so many different. Well, that's that's things. what that study was talking about is that, that uh, you know, that the electromagnetic pulses from the brain, the water was able to help carry that because it's thicker than the yeah. atmosphere. So if the people who have heightened telepathic powers or strengths or abilities are able to go in the water. Well, okay. Another thing about this too, is the show fringe, which I've brought up multiple times. It's an amazing show by JJ Abrams. That is just like massive, like just truth bombs all over the place because it's an MK ultra scientist that they have on there. And it's just all about the fringe topics of science and Olivia Dunham, the the agent on there, she actually goes into a tank and she's able to like jump dimensions while being in the in the water tank. So if anybody has ever seen that show or hasn't seen that show, I highly recommend it. It's super fucking cool. Like they go into a lot of uh, a lot of paradigms and where they split, you know, the timelines and they, you know, they just it's a great show. I, I highly recommend it. It's called Fringe, F R I N G E watch it excellent so uh when we have our little discussion with ari uh he brings up a lot of things that for me connect into box saga and i i brought it up on the show with him and i just wanted to read a couple things from box saga that that relate to the show uh just to show you the relativity i guess so says, every year on Friskar, one of the seven islands in Udinma, the duty of impregnating a great many Desor women befell Limankainen. Before this occasion, each Disa would have a 30-day honeymoon, during which she would drink one shot every day to increase her chances of becoming pregnant. By one shot, it does mean semen. Yes. Hell yeah. This is an ancient, like, pagan fertility ritual i won't go into depth about the honeymoon part maybe later but as there were a great number of disas it was physically impossible for Lemminkainen to have honeymoon with each one of them apart from this he already had his annual honeymoon with the swan thus the rabbis were invited by the pirouette family to insist Lemminkainen with the honorable task before the rabbis could have honeymoon with the Desor, they had to perform a ritual with Lemminkainen called Jerusalem. J-E equals give, R-U-S equals Rusu equals rose or top of a penis, S-A equals receive, and Lem equals penis of Lemminkainen. One by one, the rabbi did an offer exchange with Lemminkainen in the 69 position, thereby giving and receiving sperm. After this exchange, they had a 30-day honeymoon with a particular Disa. The Jerusalem ritual took place in the Lemminkainen temple, the oldest temple on the planet and arguably the smallest. Having been designed for only two people, it was literally a room in the bedrock. It had golden doors and its walls and ceiling were covered with gold. The gold symbolized the big concentration of raw that the sperm or ambrosia had. Yes, ambrosia and nectar of the gods actually relates to the secretions of the body. 
The temple featured a golden divan under a golden cupola, cupola, which is a dome, where the rabbi and Lemminkainen would perform the 69 position and drink from one another on the divan. At that same time, the desor, on returning from the ceremony where they were elected to become mothers, had drinking ceremonies at the nearby Sav Brunin, which means source of sap, to prepare for the honeymoon and subsequent pregnancy later on in the year with Lemminkainen. The Lemminkainen Temple was situated in the backyard of the estate where Eor Bach grew up in the Sav Brunin was in the basement of the house. A more detailed description of these places and the area appears in the chapter Udinma during Paradiset. So he he brings up Jerusalem being in heaven. And as we know from the Bach saga, they say Asgard or the Acer, that is the heavenly area. Heaven and hell are in the same place. So Jerusalem temple was a temple of procreation according to box saga with the with the rabbi and um who is the other the disa and the, the lemminkainen and the, the Lemming, swan the lemminkainen is the rabbi uh, the lemminkainen is the last born son who's the reproducer oh so the other guy is the rabbi they 69 it swap swap loads and then they yeah, make some yeah s- yeah yeah Gives the god it's, the god's energy into it. Yeah, it's super interesting. It's they, very interesting. There's a bunch of other weird. I mean, the whole book goes into it uh, in different chapters, but there's a whole bunch of weird uh, sexual rituals that go on in these in this pagan belief system. We've been sixty nining since before the <laughs> dawn of time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. And then so the whole kind of thing that Ari goes into is the Saturn Sun cosmology. And I, so I found this very interesting. This is just a second part, pretty short. This is uh, the creation story in Bach Saga. One story that was told to children the world over year after year on New Year's Eve was how planet Earth came into existence. According to the Box Saga, the heathen people believed that in the beginning there were actually two suns made up of plasma, a very dense and extremely hot homogeneous substance. There was a big sun and a smaller sun, and in addition to that, the moon and the stars. Here stars are defined as heavenly bodies, including what we now call planets. In the Box Saga, there is only one planet, or one plan in root language, and that is the one we live on. All other heavenly bodies like Mars, Saturn, or anything else observed in the night sky were, were considered to be stars and reflected light from those two suns. Then one day, the smaller sun exploded. After the explosion, it cooled down by increasing its volume. In the process, its consistency changed from homogeneous plasma into magma and water vapor. The magma was the core of the new planet forming like the yolk of an egg. It was surrounded by cooling vapor, which turned into water like the egg white. The magma therefore cooled down more at the periphery and subsequently the earth's crust formed by decreasing its density and increasing its volume even more. The earth's crust cracked apart, forming the separate continents. 
After this, the lower areas filled up with water and thus formed the seabeds. The higher parts became the land with all its mountains and valleys. This process explains why the shape of the continent seemed to fit into each other like a puzzle. If you had had hands of planetary size, you could squeeze the Earth's crust back into shape of a ball, and the surface of the Earth would be covered by a layer of water. During the cooling down process, the Earth turned around on its own axis, and the enormous empty space under the North Pole was created by centrifugal forces. As mentioned, this is the location of the Underwald, probably means underworld. The smaller of the two suns, therefore, transformed into the planet we inhabit. Everything on Earth is from solar origin. In this story, the moon is much older than the Earth. There was a ritual to symbolize these events, as well as a game of predicting what lay ahead in the coming year. A spoonful of tin was heated above a fire until it turned liquid. The molten hot tin was thrown into a bowl of water. When the tin comes into contact with the water, it instantaneously turns solid, forming the strangest shapes. Our planet could have looked like that when it was an exploding sun. Thus, the formation of our planet was explained each New Year's Eve to the children. On New Year's Eve, a circle was also drawn on one of the walls inside the house. A candle was lit and the solid piece of tin was held between the candle and the wall, so the shadow was cast within the circle. When one turned and held the tin in different position, positions, it cast different shadows on the wall. Those shadows protruding the circle represented the land and those within the circle, the ocean. Damn. Yeah, no, I, I love that uh, because it brings in a like seemingly okay so a lot of it sounds like you know because we talk about it with Ari in this episode you know the sun birthing planets and it's said in in other texts and such but that's like yeah. another form of big bang you know and theory it's it sounds like it could be interpreted as not saying it is the big bang theory but you know like that would that's kind of big bangy self-replicating it or or uh i mean you know bert, bert, coming from an explosion in the in the sun or uh you know high high frequency this uh, is more of like a birthing process or, yeah bert, i guess there's an explosion too yeah you know I, i'm not saying to a t it is big bang by any means i'm just saying it you know it's similar to it you know yeah have you ever heard of spirit science Yes. Watch the Flower of Life video is like one of my favorite ones. And it explains that like if you're alive by yourself in a vacuum, you can't you can't move because there is nothing else in that space with you. So you're essentially just stuck in a spot. Can't do it, chief. Until you have you replicate or you or something else exists in the space with you then you can all of a sudden understand distance and proximity and stuff like that but it's not till you replicate yourself and it it explains like how the process of like 
creation would have happened in it. it it's very interesting and it goes into some of these other topics that we're going to talk about later but the whole sacred geometry thing is one of my one of my favorite things to learn about same z's yeah that's why i want to get michelle gibson on too because she has that some really cool kind of tying into that you know the the hot spots and the flowers and the flowers yeah. of strife and the <laughs> you know all that stuff bro hey man we yeah. almost capped out an hour on an intro bro maybe we should know, maybe we should get into this deep fucking interview that we're also about <laughs> to lay upon these beautiful humans that are listening to our crazy yeah. show this is a deep one it's gonna end about 50 minutes so if you guys want to listen to it a second time you can skip ahead about 50 minutes and listen again to Ari Aslan because it is dense, it is deep, and if you want to catch it all, you might have to listen to it two or three times. There's a lot of shit in there, but it's super interesting, man. A lot of shit in there. What <laughs> <laughs> is so funny, man? Come on. All right. Let's get into it, man. Here you go. Wake up. Here's Ari Aslan. Ari Aslan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rising from the Ashes Podcast. Make sure to check the show notes for all of our contact information and all of our guest contact information. Also, there you will find out how you can leave an offering. From the ashes, I'm Danny Naki Dan. Hello, I'm the homie Romy. How art thou? How's it going? Today nice. we got Ari Asulin. Nice to meet you guys. How's it going, Very man? Very nice. Very excited. Pretty good. Yeah. Just um just kind of doing <laughs> a lot of research and, and figuring stuff out. 
Yes, yes. Um, I have here um, Ari Aslan from ParadigmThreat.net, the cosmic subterfuge predictor with limitless power, perpetual motion, a human on a mission, briefing us through his work with lots of stuff from 9-11 to Apollo, astronomy, chronology, controlled opposition, COVID-19, false flag, nukes, 5G, geoengineering, Holocaust, Palestine, prison, vaccine, Atlantis, Christ, communism, pyramids, Saturn, timeline, tripod, Anti-gravity, chemistry, conspiracy, cosmology, fairies, giants, hollow earth, Hollywood, JFK, magnetism, maps, mud flood, pyramids, speech, telepathy, bankers, wars, bombings, and a lot more. Deep depth of goodness, sir. (laughs) Those are the current topics we're looking at, yeah. Me and my little team on Discord. (laughs) Yeah, there's tons of stuff there. So much stuff to look at, yeah. So hours of, uh, of good. yes, let's do it. Let's uh, yeah, do I was going to say the uh, of all the topics, um, the mud flood one. You know, I've only heard about that one recently, and that one's just the most mind blowing of all of them. Have you guys covered mud mud flood? Yep. Yeah, mind blowing, right? That's all I got to say. It, yeah, <laughs> uh, a lot. Depend. There's so many different perspectives of it. It's it's hard to get one cumulative perspective. So totally. everybody has a lot of different uh, nuances to it. And whatnot. So we're, we're interested in hearing your perspective on it also. Yeah. But, um, one thing I kind of noticed with that one, and we're just jumping ahead, is that a lot of people talk about it, show pictures, but no one really talks about what it was, how it could have happened or any of that kind of stuff. So I'm actually kind of uh, still looking. I want to see if anyone else has any suggestions, you know, aside from the one that I'm putting forward. So uh, that's modern times. Um, what got me into this in the first place was uh, when I discovered Saturnian cosmology, and that's basically a cosmology of the universe based on ancient testimony as opposed to uh, ignoring ancient testimony, ruling it out, and and focusing on ages of rock um, and other things that are more speculative, and then imagining sort of a, a billion-year timeline, sort of, and then teaching it to everyone in school as if it was fact. They show us that one a lot in school, and then they show you know, the people that get religion in this world, they receive another version, another cosmology based on uh, six-day creation. And, you know, it's not hard to swallow for a lot of people, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And so I never really uh, cared much for it. I, did, I was born and raised Jewish. I uh, went through the whole thing. I got a bar mitzvah at the Western Wall when I was 13. So I got a pretty good dose of religion as a kid. And I kind of got out of it right away because, I don't know, it seemed, it seemed uh, more fake the version I had than some experience some other families had in Judaism, Christianity, and other things. Mine was just wasn't too real. So I never really bought this whole six-day creation thing until literally – a few years ago, when I heard Saturnian cosmology, I realized, wait a sec, that's a metaphor. That's not actual days and actual creator God or anything like that. It's a metaphor for a testimony of ancient events that are so spectacular and different from today and, and things we experience today that we can't possibly um, take them as true. These things sound, you know, insane, like like almost like it was God's will or something like that. So Saturnian cosmology, which is put forth by people like... Um, uh, let me think of all the terms now. Um, right here, I got. Um, I'm trying to think of what's the world's inclusion guy. I'm just totally blanking for some reason. His name is Vladimir Putin. Yeah, almost. No, no, God, I can't, no, really no, can't remember. Well, so, it kind of reminds me of uh, we just but, had a guest on about uh, astro theology, talking yeah. about symbolism within you know uh, the Bible with um, astrology, and so. You know, it, it's important to remember that the Bible is not necessarily something 
to be taken to like the exact T of words. It's, it's, um, as a lot of, you know, history is written in code that is meant to be deciphered for whatever reason, you know, hidden it's within the messages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, just for a friendly reminder for all of our um, beautiful humans out there that when you're reading uh, or hearing historical texts that uh, a lot of times is written in code, uh, you know, and especially things in the Bible or religious historical texts. Absolutely. So I'm sorry I totally spaced, but I was thinking of Emmanuel Velkovsky, you know, a very famous guy, and everyone knows who he is, of course, and I'm just trying to get back into these author names. Um, and before him, about 20 years, um, Sigmund Freud, most people don't know this, you look up on Wikipedia, suggested that Moses of the Exodus, must have been from the Egyptian upper class slave master lineage, could not have possibly been a slave. That's what he said, like a year before he died, mysteriously, and his own, um, Sigmund Freud's own followers um, support almost everything he ever taught except for that notion, which is extremely controversial at the time. Velikovsky mm. uh, said almost the same thing. He said, um, these stories are actually true, and uh, they can be told in a completely different perspective. Uh, we saw the uh, Old Testament. We saw that version. Now, here's another perspective from other testimonies, etc. So he kind of blew people's minds. He came before the electric universe by decades, and he was ignored by academia. Carl Sagan sort of created his career around ignoring Emanuel Velkovsky. Very interesting period in the <laughs> yeah. 70s there. Yeah. Right. And um, so it was forgotten. And then in the 90s, unrelated but connected, plasma physics uh, emerged. Plasma physics saying the universe appears to be almost entirely plasma as the primary state of matter with all the other states coming secondary and far more um, infrequently. And that the plasma physics, the electromagnetic plasma electric physics, are the real nature of, of cosmic uh, structure, gravity, creation, all of it. So that wasn't necessarily concluded in the 90s. It was just introduced as a concept. Other people took that concept and plugged them together. Wallace Thornhill connected the electric universe with Saturnian cosmology for a period. Apparently, they no longer do that. But um, they said... Yes, I've seen these figures before. These figures, Wallace Thornhill said, seen these in laboratories. In um, you know, th these are electromagnetic phenomena, and if they exist in space, then that's only because we can reproduce these same physics in scale up in the universe mm -hmm. and down here in the laboratory, and that they will produce identical results. Uh, one of the most identical results, the fascinating conclusion of the Sapphire Project, jumping ahead about ten years, is electric Which stars. Oh, nice. Right. Oh, so that's Wallace Thornhill and David Talbot? David Talbot. Uh, sorry, I skipped him. He uh, he was the one that totally focused on Saturnian cosmology and ancient testimony. Wallace Thornhill brought out the physics of it and started saying, electric universe is the real model of, of the universe. He says planets, suns are hollow. And he says so for unrelated reasons than, you know, other reasons other people believe in hollow earth. He says because of physical reasons, electromagnetic. Um, you, got, you got layers of the earth in, in electromagnetic repulsion. Positive, negative, positive, negative, like that. It's got the same thing in the sun. You got the same thing in planets and gas giants. So uh, these are different fields that are converging into the same conclusion. Sapphire Project was the one that produced a lot of these experiments in the laboratory, showed electric negative scarring, electric positive scarring. Two different things. One uh, forms structure and one carves out structure. At a scale, electric scarring in the, in the primordial times created mountains at the same time would carve out all of those canyons we see up in Mars. Mars' surface is electrically scarred. 
the moon's surface electrically start. This is proven by checking out any of the craters, noticing that all of the craters on the moon, for example, are perfectly circular and uh, pointing on normal lines outward. They're never sideways craters. They're always, you know, upward. And you got what we call bullseye craters. It's one hit in the direct center of a much bigger crater. Stuff that should not happen. And the uh, Electric Universe people are basically pointing out that this can be reproduced in lab, not by collisions, but by electric scarring. Just a huge, high-intensity discharge of energy in its purest form. However you want to build it. It's a very simple experiment to build, but you just need a big power source to do it. And plasma and all that. So... (laughs) So that's a little uh, kind of history of um, where where physics is at. There's actually a lot of evidence now that um, supports what the ancients were saying happened, and that we can come, we can kind of look at that testimony a new perspective and say, well, what if they're seeing plasma stuff in the in the sky, planets, you know, cl- coming close to each other, discharging electricity and then pushing away? What if that's what it's like? Wow. And what if it actually models much closer to atomic physics than uh, Newtonian <sighs> physics? So that's sort of where we're going here. Does that yeah, make sense yeah. so far? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> the you it, it does. It does. Uh, and it's it's something that's been like intuitively really pulling me in the past couple of years is just plasma and electromagnetism ma- and, and like uh, plasma physics in general has just been, I feel like there's, it's just like the suppression of history. It There's something there that is just not, being fully exposed, you know, to, to, I mean, most people don't understand physics anyway, but you know, but it's already being, you know, kind of streamlined in a direction of like, and a very, it's funneled into the academia and that's, that's the, what we will know. And if it's anything outside of that, you have to be just even, you have to be really searching for it. You have to be really looking for it. But if it's the human creation story, why is it so suppressed? Right. Why? That's the biggest question of all. If you don't have the why, you don't have yeah. anything. Um, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, um, that's where I focused uh, my investigation was once I really felt like I had a taste for this perspective, I, I realized, wait a sec, why would anyone cover this up? And have we not been seeing evidence of this cover-up our entire lives? These so- so-called Saturnian icons are apparently all over the place if you start to look for them. You know, um, like uh, the, the Nike band. You'll see the Saturn ring on so many brands, so many locations, or a black cube, or something that can be traced directly back to this actual story and encrypted in all religions Christian, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism. Encrypted icons that the people, the millions of people are worshiping those religions today do not know what they are. The black cube of Mecca, you got people circling it, but do they know what it is? Well, it's a, a housing, a place where Muhammad visited, and so forth, but but it's a black cube. What is it? You know, they don't know. The Jews don't know. Trust me. Or they would have told me. And the Christians don't know. And actually, <laughs> it can be found on Saturn. You can go look right now. You can see the North Pole of Saturn. And you can see there's like a hexagon shape there. Very uh, peculiar. You know, NASA is well aware of it. Talk about all wow. time. They don't know what causes it, of course. But um, it's a hexagon shape that also looks like a cube. You know, if you look at it a certain way, it looks like a, a three-dimensional perfect cube. They're seeing this on the North Pole of Saturn in close proximity at some point in our history. And they began to worship a black cube. So it's, it's really actually very simply explained all of this stuff. And so the why, why would anyone cover it up is, of course, it gives them power, it gives them all kinds of power, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's you know, sort of where I go from there. So uh, 
Yeah, you want me to start from the beginning? Because there's like a whole story. Uh, sure. Let, can I ask you Please. a couple questions oh, real yeah, quick? Yeah, all the questions you want. Uh, have Have any other planets been found to have geometric patterns at the poles that we are aware of anyway? Um, besides Saturn? Some people think that we're not allowed to see the poles of any of these planets, that those shots in particular have been the most covered up. I don't know what to make of that because I haven't investigated that myself. I could tell you straight off the bat, though, that a very unique uh, pole situation is with Jupiter, mm. where Jupiter's electromagnetic field is massive in size, way beyond the planet, you know, many hundreds times the size of the planet. And that electromagnetic field, uh, being the most powerful one in our solar system, is bent, and that the south pole of Jupiter, some people think, is the eye. That's the south pole. See what I'm saying? North pole is still in the north. Oh. South pole is bent from the bottom all the way to the side. So why? Because the um, Birkeland current, as they're called, of energy from the north and south and Jupiter come out at a weird diagonal. This is because Jupiter is at the edge of our solar system representing the boundary. So the boundary of the EM field at that point could actually be bent in such a way. Um, speculation. But that's a pretty cool uh, uh, pull, you know, theory. Wow, okay. That's in- I've Yeah, I've never heard that before. Uh, my other question was, when you were talking about the moon and the craters, uh, you're you're going pretty fast. Oh, sorry. Uh, keep up with you. <laughs> That's fine. But uh, we were talking to Grimerica the other day, and uh, one interesting th- thing they said or, or noted was that why is there comet impacts facing the planet Earth? That would mean <laughs> asteroids would have had to have come I know. from this side to hit it. So, but you're saying that those could have been caused from electric scarring, electric scarring, right? Um, and that would explain that they're all the same depth and everything, right? Like a ball spinning while it's and being all- scarred, like a like like um, based. I'm sorry, um, like a turn, like a turn of spit, and um, okay. getting it all sides evenly, that kind of thing. Um, Excellent. But that would have to mean that the moon was not in our orbit when that was happening. That we mm. had captured the moon at some point in our history. Which, according to okay. testimony, is very much the case. You got ancient saying, oh, the moon showed yeah. up on this period in this chronology. So, like I said, it does line up. Well, I really should start at the beginning um, to explain how what how Saturn cosmology conflates with electric universe, mm-hmm. why they really do fit together. So, oh, I'm sorry, there was one other thing. With the moon, the next question to ask there is, why is one side of the moon always face Earth in the first place? And why side you know, ne- never face us? And it's always hard to remember that the moon has 15 day long days, which makes one side of it, uh, you know, uh, always at, you know, extremely hot and unlivable. The other side is always mm-hmm. cold. Uh, kind of like in that movie Chronicles of Riddick, the same thing. Mm-hmm. So there's actually a lot of mysteries of the moon that haven't been discussed because if it's Newtonian physics, all that's impossible. It's way too close. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. So set Saturnian cosmology. It's the idea that Saturn, the planet, the gas giant has played a massive role in the creation of earth and the solar system at a re, a, um, in the origin story of Earth, in the first memory. And that these memories um, have been redacted into stories and so forth. These stories are telling the story of the creation of the planets. And we don't understand that, those stories, simply because we understand the physics behind it. The first step in creating a planet or a solar system is you have to have the sun. The sun is a focal point for all of the energy in the universe. Energy cannot be destroyed or created. So all of the energy that the sun is receiving, it's receiving it in one format from a great distance away, converting it into another format. Um, this is hydrogen to helium fusion reactions on the chronosphere, not in the core because it's a hollow sun. And the chronosphere 
you get the extra energy that comes out in Brooklyn currents, which, which stretch out and hit the planets. They reach the planets from North Pole to South. They go through the planets and then stretch out to the next planet in the solar system. This is the exact same thing you see with atoms, where each atom doesn't represent an orbit so much, but it represents a uh, level of energy. I'm sorry, the, the electrons in an atom represent the level of energy. And as electron jumps from one level to the next, it releases energy to another atom. That's how chemistry works. So the same thing with planets. So the first step is the sun is creating hard, uh, heavy elements in its core. As it converts hydrogen to helium, helium to heavier elements, those elements fall to the center. They are inert elements. They're non-ionic, um, so they don't, they don't fly out of the sun or go anywhere. They just fall to the center and collect within the sun. At some point, uh, the sun will eject the, the mass, a coronal mass ejection. I've seen a picture, the first a video, first time I've seen this video was in the Arizona State Fair in the freaky section. So the first time I saw this video of the sun ejecting what very much looks like a planet, our sun, out of it. And it, the, the planet's like stuck on all these umbilical kind of Brooklyn currents. They're all black in the image, although in real life they're invisible. And then after a while, the planet pulls away. I have this picture on uh, my website and uh, it's easy to find on YouTube. Sorry, video. This is a planet being born, essentially. They don't, they don't tell us much about this in school, but they come from the inside of the sun kind of violently as a big mass. And they just fly out to the edge of the solar system as a dead weight. There's no life on them. That's step one. And step two. It's literally the most interesting thing. In the, that's That has to be one of the most interesting thing to any human. I don't give a shit who you are. <laughs> if that isn't one of the coolest things that you've ever heard in your life. I think and, so, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I heard you talk, say that on uh, the higher side chats show nice. with Greg. And I was like, I was on an airplane while I was listening to your interview <laughs> with him. And I was just like headphones on. And I was like, am I in space? Am I flying? I'm dreaming of these, like all of the, and it really tuned me into the, uh, the Saturnian cosmology. I really appreciate you for that. And that, I'm done talking, um, <laughs> no worries. but yes, super fucking interesting. Yeah. And to keep in mind, you know, for listeners, this is all hypothetical. This is my investigation. Um, I'm sure someone uh, more more qualified will eventually step in, but we don't have many people that seem to understand this stuff and are also willing to venture into what we call conspiracy lands. You know, uh, they stick pretty much to their margins, Sapphire Project, you know, to their lab experiments, Wallace Thornhill to his um, hypothetical electric universe. And even Talbot, you know, has has just dis- disappeared from public life. Um, so we have to do it ourselves. You know, we have to put these things together. We have all the facts and all the dates. Um, we just have to kind of uh, just decide if this really does make sense. It's called a falsifiable hypothesis. Create a hypothesis that models your predictions. Try to find a prediction that does not fit. So this uh, electric universe, plasma physics, Saturnian testimony is a hypothesis prediction model. And it predicts, in my opinion, everything perfectly. Um, and all we got to look for is where it's wrong, you know, like uh, falsify it. And uh, and uh, then we can either disprove it or improve on it. That's um, that's basically how it works. So, next step of this of a planet creation is it has to it has to attain all of the elements that create life. It's not something that the sun gives it. The sun creates the matter only and bakes it. And you get a lot of that electric scarring in the primordial times and spits it out. At this point, like I said, it sticks around the edge of the universe. There's a, oh, the edge of the solar system. I'm gonna get these terms right. Our our solar system and does not have life on it, it's too cold. At this point, it has to be captured 
by a gas giant. So an L-type brown dwarf system. That's what Saturn was before before it changed into the current gas giant that we see today. The L-type brown dwarf, as we see in, in space, does not have rings. It is just a huge mass of not bright material. Say not bright because it's not glowing like a sun, but it's not solid like a planet. It's still in plasma shape. It still gives out a great deal of heat. And today, if you look at the planet Saturn, you'll actually see that it gives out twice as much energy as as it takes in. Okay, L-type brown dwarf um, floating out there in space. It's acting like a negative anode, and it's sucking in dead matter into it. Eventually, it sucks in dead matter big enough to create a core, sort of like a primordial egg, enough matter and enough plasma to sort of become a solar system. Uh, the L-type brown dwarf Saturn has all of the stuff in it that will eventually create all of the pieces of our solar system, with the exception of the sun. The next thing that happens is the, the Saturn uh, system containing Earth and all of the other things that will eventually become Mars, Mercury, Uranus, and Neptune. It's just one big giant egg. This, this negative anode is, is, uh, is naturally attracted to our sun and will naturally fall directly into its path if there's nothing inhabiting it right now. Currently, we have um, you know, nine planets in our solar system, but if there was no planets then our sun would be ready for something like an L-type brown dwarf to force its way in and explode. Uh, what you shown there? Is that nine? Did I get the wrong number? Five, six, seven, eight. Do we have eight plants? <laughs> Maybe it's true. That was nine. Um, so. <laughs> they're in and out. You know, they're just popping in and out. Oh, yeah. Time no, time. I could talk about that. Um, Pluto is a mystery. A lot of people think Pluto is not there, you know? So we'll get to that. So we got this brown dwarf containing matter containing also plasma. You got the sun. They, they come together and, you, and, the, and the Saturn system explodes. This is recorded in all of the ancient testimonies as the first memory. In pretty much all of them, you got this first memory. Before that, there was no memory. There's no ability to record or even remember things. Not, that, not enough life happening yet. The life is triggered directly by the energy of the sun, which streams into the brown dwarf, filling it with energy. Uh, like I said, it's layered. So it enters from the poles, fills up the layers, the layers expand in size, and if there's too much energy, the system opens up, it ruptures. The first layer of Saturn peels off and becomes the planets Jupiter, Uranus, and Neptune, the gas giants. Wow. Wow. And Venus. Apparently, Venus was created at the beginning, and some testimonies say it was created later, but um, the point is all of the gas giants came from that original Saturn mass. They just got ripped apart at different scales, you could say. And immediately after this, the configuration of planets started to align into a direct, perfect line. Uh, this is what always happens. This is because the amount of energy streaming through the sun, through all of the planets from north to south pole, um, has connected all the planets like an array of batteries connected in series, as, a co as opposed to in parallel. And in series, you basically have higher amplitude, I think. I'm very dyslexic about those kind of terms, but the amplitude uh, passing through all the planets is so massive that we don't see anything like that happening today. Nothing like that. So what it's doing is it's affecting the, each of the planets individually based on the amount of matter they have, the amount of energy being received, and the, the, how fast they're growing, essentially. The Earth begins to grow in size. It starts as one solid object, and the uh, concentric circles of the Earth 
began to expand, forming more internal concentric circles. There's no oceans yet. All of the ocean material is within the Saturn system, sort of like a primordial material known as mana. It's not really something, again, that we see today because it couldn't sustain itself today. It's part of the environment, part of the high electrical, high amplitude environment. This environment, right, yeah, this environment could be otherwise called the golden age. It's essentially a time when things are so perfect in alignment with so much energy passing through and yet safe that there was no death. There was no want. uh, There was no hunger. Animals did not eat each other, which is what was recorded in these testimonies. And it's hard for us to imagine a time when animals didn't eat each other, but that's what they say. So we just got put together. A Hindu says that and Christians say that in Garden of Eden. So it makes sense. They didn't need to eat. The fruit you know, fruit was always there, That they, um, but also they didn't have any lack of energy. There was so much energy that they, well, they need to eat. So this age, this golden age, uh, started uh, with the first memory of mankind and went on for a period of uh, year 4,077 BC and ended in the year Three thousand hundred and forty-seven BC. So, um, how many years that was? I used to have all these numbers just ready to go. But um, ha- almost a century. Sorry, uh, several centuries of the Golden Age passed quickly because in this time, um, one year lasted two hundred and twenty-five days. Reason for this is um, the orbit of all of the planets around the sun was all one big orbit, one one chunk of all the planets in collinear configuration. It wasn't the separate orbits that we have today that chunk of uh, configuration was receiving a great deal more energy than planets do receive today. And according to electric universe theory, if you put more energy into something, the faster it spins, as opposed to Newtonian physics when energy doesn't factor into it at all. So this configuration spun faster back then than it spins now because it was taking more energy. The, The years were 225 days, and every time the configuration changed, the years got longer. They would jump a chunk of days over and over until they eventually reached 365 that we know today. With each jump, we can sort of guess that there was a major change in the configuration itself. So let me know if you have any questions so far or if I'm going too fast. I do have a question, and I don't want to try to get too off topic, but it's just something that popped in my head when you were talking. Um, so when Earth was at its golden age, this is in a lot of different like historical text, you know, from Hyperborea times and just, you know, all of that goodness. <laughs> And there's, you know, many questions that lie within that of, you know, the human creation story as opposed to the planet creation story of our consciousness and how we came to be where we are. But so what do you think? And I, I kind of glitched out a little bit, so I didn't get to hear. Did no you describe what you think created the tilt um, from the golden age when we were straight up and down? Because I I want I want to know, you know, the the uh, the sweet scientific uh point of view on that and then i have my like you know metaphysical kind of spiritual side on that um you know pulling from like the anunnaki paradigm where you know these i guess you could call them extraterrestrial life forms uh had to come to this planet to harvest gold to shoot into their Mm -hmm. magnetosphere of their planet which was dying Mm -hmm. um and so my question is is do you is there, do you believe that there could be extraterrestrial life that has this type of technology to terraform planets to, you know, use it for making minerals of such? Cause I remember you talking about how gold can be created, you know, and so, you know, it's kind of woo woo in a little bit of sense, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are sure, on, yeah. on, on, on that <clears throat> kind of paradigm. Yeah, you bet. So, first question can extraterrestrials visit from other solar systems? 
can they mess with us during our golden age, our, our origin times? Uh, you know, because that would really suck, right? I think everyone agrees that we live in a very compromised universe, if that was the case. Yes. yes. And I think that, you know, the good news here to tell you that I really have a strong feeling that plasma physics, as it as it's described in electric universe theory, gives a pretty good uh, argument that that is not the case for two reasons. First reason is okay. Okay. this uh, primordial egg that I'm trying to define containing primordial earth, containing layers of plasma in opposition, um, going all the way to the, to the exterior, creating the Saturn brown dwarf. This, this object is impermeable. Let's say it has a spaceship, let's say it had a whatever. The biggest thing you'd be dealing with with your spaceship, at one, at one point, the energy flowing into your ship is tremendously positive. And you step a little bit further and then it's tremendously negative. You're going to have to get through these layers. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to absorb a huge amount of heat and put it somewhere. This is, um, you know, maybe it's possible with all that Star Trek stuff, but... Technology way outside of anything that we are familiar with by any means. Yeah, maybe. But actually, since I don't necessarily believe that we are going to come up with any technology that we haven't already seen, even though a lot of it's been mm. hidden from our yeah. view, um, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think there's some sort of... Uh, uh, universal limitations there. Something that just makes that scenario not ever happening, mm. ever. Uh, I could be totally wrong, Word. but let me get into the second <laughs> part of this, the reason why it doesn't matter. This is more interesting to me, actually. You know, living in the 20th century, you know, we think maybe everything that's been invented is going to be, and there's nothing left. We don't see anti-gravity cars like in Back to the Future, so we assume that they tried it and it's not going to happen, right? As opposed to they suppressed it or something like that. So once you start to think on terms that all technology has been suppressed, and slowly released us, then you'll understand that, the, that the, there was a period in time when it wasn't suppressed. And going all the way back to the origin story, that period of time was known as Atlantis. Atlantis, in in different depictions, was the best place to be in the Golden Age. It was depicted in, in the Wizard of Oz as a place that everyone goes to, you know, get you know whatever they want technology to get healed, but mostly for knowledge. In the Bible, it's the, the tree of knowledge. Wizard of Oz. Which, yeah, Wizard of Oz. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, in the Christian Bible, you got the Golden Age, which has a tree of knowledge in it, in the center. Atlantis, the people of Atlantis, considered themselves a tree of knowledge because this was the first inventions, the first discoveries. Uh, everything that happened mostly happened there. You had the, you had, uh, okay, let me st- describe the location. This is at the very highest place that a human could stand on the configuration and, and look upward and see Venus, uh, Saturn, behind it, Jupiter, behind it, the sun. This is a collinear configuration, which I didn't really explain yet, but um, I'll get to that in a second. And the highest place you can stand is in the North Pole. A lot of people say that's where Atlantis is, in the ruins. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that wasn't the highest place. The highest place was the North Pole of Mars. You had Mars, then Earth, then Mercury, and then below Mercury had Neptune, the ocean, yeah, it was remembered as an ocean god, and I uh, have Uranus at the end of the configuration, which is why it's called Uranus. So, you, yeah, um, yeah. so you, um, sorry, I got my cats running around. I um, love your cats; they're beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, so Mars is definitely the northest part of the configuration you could stand. Everyone agrees that that uh, has seen Saturnian cosmology. Behind it is Venus, this ever-changing plasma thing. You wouldn't want to stand there, but you couldn't. Uh, so the the, uh, the North Pole has tremendous amount of energy coming through it, like I said, and it's also safe. It's a place where you could actually yeah. stand, and you know, right in the middle of that energy. Um, one effect that would happen to you if you stood 
on Mars in primordial times is you would grow in size faster than the humans on Earth. Um, the same is true about Mercury. Right, exactly. And you got the Nephilim, also Nephites in the Book of Mormon. They're giants, right? Mm-hmm. Big guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they say in the Bible also, big they, yeah, they, they explain them as extremely big, you know, like we're grasshoppers to them and stuff. Who knows if they're right about that. The point is on Mars and Mercury, you find giants. You also find this in North mythology. Um, the coldest location in the um, configuration was the South Pole of Mars, which received the least energy. And there you'd find the frost giants, the ones that would be willing to stand that temperature. On the south side of Earth, where you wouldn't see the Saturn configuration at all, you'd see something else. You'd see this huge stickman figure, this this um, energy that's changing shape constantly, making a, a man figure with a, with a duck head, with arms coming out of its sides, changing shape and dumping some of that hot energy onto the ground and hitting the people. The people said those that could stand the energy they lived in those locations and those that could not stand the energy would not stay there. So you kind of have a concept for where black people came from, potentially the, the early humans, same race as everyone else receiving a great deal more melanin in their skin from standing very close to a far more unstable Southern end of the configuration. The North end is like the beautiful place that's peaceful. So um, Atlantis, there's kind of a problem there. You got everything, all these inventions, you got all this technology and eventually you have scarcity, artificial scarcity. You have people saying, if you want this stuff, you have to come to us. We're not going to share it with you necessarily. Yeah, and this is where you get the Wizard of Oz thing from it. They wanted something back from the people. In Atlantis, in the Egyptian Empire, and even in modern times, there is evidence that a lot of people are convinced of an invisible creator god that they need to be worshipping, right? We've all heard this our whole lives. Where did this come from? Well, the first depiction of this is Atlantis where they had all the technology, but didn't want to share it. And until the fall of Atlantis, they were willing to share some of it. After the fall, they weren't willing to share any of it. So these guys wanted something back. All they wanted was total obedience. This was a creation of the deep state. And yeah, um, yeah. and these guys were about as nefarious as you could possibly imagine because they took the fall of the Golden Age really hard and decided to keep their technology. So tell me if there's possibly another ET force out there that could possibly matter in that kind of time. I don't, I don't think so. Mm. If you see what I'm saying, even if they could mm-hmm. show up somehow and say, you know, we're going to seed earth. We're going to strip mine the place. They're dealing with we, Atlanteans. Yeah. We need these minerals. Right. Yeah. So they're dealing with Atlanteans who are already the deep state. who are already interested in, in, you know, subordinating the rest of the species. So I don't think you have to look very far to explain the evil in our solar system. Question. Good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, so you, when you say Mars is the highest, like, what do you mean by Mars is the highest? Like, how is that in our physical realm? I don't understand that. I guess. Um, so I should explain the configuration uh, real fast. Um, if you stand on the North Pole of Earth during the Golden Age and you look upward, you'll see you'll see Mars, Venus, ah. and Saturn up in the North Pole of Earth at all times of the day. Okay. And uh, to see a nice depiction of this. You can check out uh, Talbot's video, which I have on my on my page, clips of it. You can check out my video, right? My um, origin story video where I show I show that demonstration, which is incredibly in depth. By thank the you, way, everybody, you. check you it sure. out, please. Yeah, please do, because uh, I'm covering some please. of that stuff and not, not in detail in this. So yeah, th- th- uh, what you see if you look up, you always see Mars up there, red, uh, a red planet that didn't look like it looked like today. It contained one more layer, this final layer outside of it. And they call it Priori Mars in some of the art authors that I've read, Priori Mars. 
this final layer had um, is broken up. It was always broken up, never formed. It was like a ring around Mars, and it would constantly come apart. It would it would shred into dust, into material, and collide with the Earth. It would it would fall into the Earth's surface and bury everyone and just cause cataclysm, and then it would be sucked back up into the Mars into the Martian atmosphere and form a ring around Mars again. This is because the planet surface contained a great deal of iron. Actually, had, uh, had all the types of minerals it has on the surface here somewhere, but it, it'd be amazed. All of the all of the minerals that we consider precious on Earth can be found on the yeah. surface of Mars, just ready to go. That would mean that this rock material is actually electromagnetic in properties. And during um, and during separation times, it was when the planets are separating, the electromagnetic fields pulling apart. The material would also collect and pull apart. The material, if you were to mix it together with Earth material, you would have lightweight rock, lightweight concrete. It would be actually very easy to build stuff like pyramids, ziggurats, extremely high mm. towers that don't seem possible anymore. But they built them back then. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and like I said, they took the. Uh, go ahead, question. So is Mars Mount Zion, um, or the Priory of Zion? Um. Well, the definition of Zion. I think it just means promised land, doesn't it? Or it's the people of Israel. Oh, it's also said heaven too. Okay, so I'll tell you this. The first Jerusalem... During, during the golden age. Right. The first Jerusalem was up in heaven. It was that configuration as you look it up, as you look up in the sky, and they would say, that's heaven. We can't go there. We're not going to go there. And they saw that it took certain shapes. It had three rings to the castle of Jerusalem that they saw in the sky. Later on in Istanbul, Turkey, they would build the first Jerusalem there with three rings. Sorry, three gates, three ramparts. I mean... Um, to get an idea of what this looked like, the castle of Gondor in uh, Lord of the Rings, remember it has three ramparts in the movie? That was what Jerusalem, the first depiction of Jerusalem looked like. The oldest version of the Bible confirmed these three rings with six gates, you know, six sides, all that started with the, the first Jerusalem. The stereotypical Atlantis. Right, yeah. The the three ring circus. Right. So, <laughs> so you got something in heaven which you can't go to. And they got... The places on Earth which were built, the uh, Atlantis that people built apparently were made out of uh, emeralds. These emeralds were high technology that could do everything that you would need mm-hmm. a computer to do. Uh, recording, mm-hmm. playback, uh, you can build robots with them, you can store Holograph. Healing. Yeah, everything. Same kind of emerald tablets were found by Joseph Smith in the, uh, in the 19th century, starting the uh, you know, Mormon religion. So Atlantis, like I said, it had high technology but didn't want to share it. It came down in the golden age. They took it hard, and they wanted to figure out how to rebuild that empire. Um, you know, rebuild the Jerusalem in the sky that they saw. Rebuild the configuration itself. Configuration was called the Tower of Babel, the first Tower of Babel. So they tried to build another one. They built many ziggurats in uh, Mesopotamia. Those ziggurats weren't necessarily the first ones. And when they came down, it was sort of like history repeating themselves. Uh, the first tower came down, then the towers that the humans built also came down. Why? Well, the gravity on Earth was changing. It was getting heavier. The towers that they used to build collapsed inward and could no longer sustain their structure. And secondarily, and more importantly, the energy coming down the sides of the towers, down the spiral staircase, was causing all of the humans to lose their memories. The same thing can happen if you apply electrodes to somebody's head. You can sort of wipe their memory or you know, make them unable to function for a long time. Bad news stuff. And the towers are abandoned. And some guy named Nimrod was blamed, so I think Nimrod was deity. I'm not really sure. 
But as you can see, all the ziggurats sort of collapsed. And they tried the next thing. What's the next next big thing to try? Pyramids, right? Uh, pyramids were built because they had the exact same purpose to to reach as high as they could, but not let those heavenly forces destroy the towers. So the pyramids were logically built across the equatorial zones of the earth, the areas that received the mm -hmm. most energy. This is because this is after the collinear configuration broke up. Now plants are starting to form a round table, small uh, nonlinear configuration that itself orbits the sun. Yeah, it's kind of complicated, but um, you know, just uh, trust me on that because we've got a lot to cover here. And uh, I do go over this in the video. So, In this round table configuration, the plants are connected in series. The energy isn't as strong. And the pyramids built in the equators, our equator zones, are capable of receiving that energy. That energy lets them communicate across the planet. Believe me, there's no other way to do that. Radio was not mm -hmm. possible back mm -hmm. then due to the mm -hmm. constant cataclysmic forces in the inner solar system. This would be it's definitely been found that that even in like the South American pyramids that they're the towers that were used to spread sound and uh, all across the valleyways out there, hundreds of miles yes. of towers like that. Yes. That sound technology is just absolutely unbelievable. Yes, please continue exactly. And now you just got to plug this into Wizard of Oz, right? It's not some guy hiding behind a curtain because they'd figure that out. <laughs> this is more elaborate. You go into the temple. That's so trippy. Right, yeah. You go into a pyramid. You see an idol. And it starts talking to you. And you look all over the place, everywhere. And you don't see anyone. There's no other rooms. There's nothing. There's an idol talking to you. This stuff would have been very convincing back in, in the origin story days when people are looking for answers, trying to figure out why the Golden Age ended at all, why everything is terrible all of a sudden. And the deep state, as I begin to call them after the fall of Atlantis, is totally taking advantage of this big time. They, they know how this technology works because yeah. they always built it. And um, uh, another Fuck. inductive. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Holy shit, it. dude. This is very rich. I'm talking like triple fudge brownies over here, <laughs> dude. That's awesome. That's absolutely, I mean, God, so deep. Right, it's kind All of staring right. us in the face, I'm isn't sorry. it? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm so, sorry to keep interrupting, brother. No, it's okay. It's, it's really exciting stuff, honestly. I agree. Uh, I, I just found a video uh, passing around. They showed some guy standing outside of a temple in Turkey. And he was filming the top of the temple and electric energy was coming out the sides of this spire. Perfect mm. hexagon, stable. Yeah. Just watch the video. I'm sure you'll find it eventually. It's on my Paradigm Threat Instagram. It's right there. Uh, I found oh, nice. a video and it's like, wow, there we go. There's evidence that these buildings really are electric. You know, Even in some storms, they light up in certain ways. And so you got electric energy flowing through, and you got it got sound, like you just said. So all you got to do is is uh, put this together. They're tricking people into thinking that these stone idols were speaking to them, and and giving them what they wanted, granting their wishes, you know, making their dreams come true, get, uh, healing them, doing whatever that advanced technology was capable of, without revealing it. And this so-called empire sort of rose from that deception. In the Bible, it's called the Egyptian Empire, but we know it spread far beyond Egypt. It went. Throughout Mesopotamia, Iraq and Iran has huge pyramids. You can see one of them in Blade Three, the movie Blade Three, in the first scene. Huge, amazing pyramid with steps. Um, you can see like the Pyramid of the Sun. There's one in Mexico, 30 miles kilometers away from Mexico City, and an identical one in Bosnia, which a lot of people deny is even there. It's really crazy. Wow! But exactly the same pyramids on their sides of the on opposite sides of the planet. But obviously. It, it just doesn't end there. You can find literally thousands of pyramids in the equatorial zones. 
Um, not so much all the other places. And they say in the polls, I don't know about that. Maybe it would make sense to me, but I don't, I don't know. Um, so anyway. On a timeline level, what do you think the how, how long after the pyramid building population, which I'm curious what uh, the population was at that point, because if this many thousands of pyramids are getting built around the same amount of time after, you know, in the same period with the same obvious architectural, you know, knowledge and information, how many fucking people were around on the planet at that time? And also how long after the golden age ended when the uh, Atlantean deep state, if you will, elitist um, to be, how, how long do you think after the golden age flipped was this time period? Um, let's see, Golden Age, uh, 3,147, that's 3147 BCE, um, is sort of the date that I've seen from a lot of different records. And from that point, all the way until 0 B- BCE, you have cataclysm. Why is it BC? Why do we say that label? It's because you couldn't make calendars Before back then cataclysm. because everything kept... What was that, bud? Before cataclysm. You said, yeah, before right. cataclysm. That's it. Yeah, I was actually thinking that's a good way we start saying it. Because nobody really understands why we even have it label, and the reason is because the calendars kept changing back then. The year would change, that everything would change. So AD is when the Earth's orbit stopped changing, and all the cataclysm ended. So we're talking three thousand years of cataclysm, but I found a lot of reasons to believe that actually it ended around six hundred BC or maybe even fourteen hundred BC. We're still fighting over the the chronology. That's that's the other big thing here is that you know. We don't have a pure form of this chronology. We're still fighting over it. So the Golden Age lasted in our years, you know, like 300 or 400 years. The fall after the Golden Age lasted thousands of years and maybe maybe up to a thousand years minimum. The fall, uh, the uh, the amount of people that were there at the time, very minimal. Uh, right after the birth of the planet, you don't really have many people, you know, just popping out of everywhere. You got different sized people for sure. And they're sort of living a long time. Like, a, like 200 years and so forth, not really thinking much about having kids. And then after the fall, they're not capable of having kids for a while. That cat's knocking stuff over. Um, <laughs> this might sound weird, but with all of the changes in the earth, you know, there's no moon, there's no, season, there's no seasons, there's no tide, that there's also no pregnancies. Uh, and it's all connected to, to the earth's motion. It's not just um, something that can happen when cataclysm is happening. So, um, there's a lot of reference in uh, that there's there's problems people having giving birth during these ages, which would further lead to de- depletion. You know, it would not it wouldn't be a huge population of humans on Earth yet. There'd be a very small population, and that that but pop- pronounced probably. Yeah, I was about to a say pronounced population. Many of them giants. Many of them huge in size, mm-hmm. and those those would be very yeah. pronounced because they would they would add up to a lot of humans down the lineage later on. So uh, where are we at here with the timeline? Super, um, super cool. <laughs> Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Uh, I have like 50 questions for yeah, you. Yeah, please go. But I'm going <laughs> to let you go ahead. Are you How how much longer do you think you have on this? I figured I'd wrap it up uh, in 10 minutes and then we'd do an hour for the other one. Okay, oh, cool. Uh, I'll let you wrap it party. up. And then I want to quick fire about seven or eight questions at you. Yeah. Uh, just sh- some short answer stuff. You bet. So I'll try to get All through right, this cool. quickly. Uh, Golden Age starts with a great deluge. Earth passes through Saturn's outer layer. This is a layer of plasma. The plasma hits the Earth and cools immediately uh, as it hits the surface of the atmosphere, and then hits the Earth as salt water. So a great Holy deluge, shit. right? Great deluge. The first one created the initial oceans. There was apparently three of these great deluges, uh, not just one, passing through Saturn's layers, but also um, 
later on when the Earth's orbit was changing, when the tilt of the Earth was constantly rocked and the Earth would shake, essentially, these periods would also have deluges, though they're much smaller. So anyway, moving on, the planets, which were recorded as gods in the old pantheon, were fighting with each other. The biggest one was Jupiter at the time. Uh, well, the, old, the first one was Kronos, Saturn, the old god. And as Kronos created all the planets, it then got angry and ate them all up. This is um, right after the breakup. Saturn becomes a, ne- a negative cathode again. And all the planets are, are, are positively charged, so they just fall into into Saturn's mouth. Earth is too big, so it doesn't. And the Earth people on Earth watch this happen. And then Kronos, Saturn spits them all out again as the gas giant Jupiter shows up and intervenes. So you see old god Kronos, you got the new god Zeus showing up as the first savior, saving Earth, saving all the little planets, and creating a new orbit, a, a nonlinear round table configuration. This, of course, is also the story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. King Arthur being Jupiter. Yeah, I was going to ask about right? that. <laughs> Lancelot being Mars, the, you know, the biggest knight of all that could not be contended with. An entire book on the symbolism could right, be right, done, right. man. Yes, exactly. And of course, the queen being Venus, causing the disruption of the round table. doesn't make sense if they're humans, honestly. They sound very vain and, and kind of illogical, but as planets, a lot of these stories suddenly make sense. Um, exactly, Jupiter, Jupiter reappears over and over as the savior. Each time its influence is around, everything's stable and nice. Every day, orbit it rotates in its orbit, and the sun will appear behind it. And when that happens, they see Jupiter with its crown on it, sitting up on a throne. The throne is a plasma outpouring of the Jupiter's south pole. Again, recording testimony. It was so big, it spanned the Earth's horizon, went below it, and it looked like a giant mountain with Jupiter sitting on top. This would be the burning bush, the, you know, mosaic, and... Um, a bunch of other ones, like I said in my video, I cite them all. Jupiter, as the savior up on the mountain, eventually disappears. It its influence continues to be to recede as it goes into the outer solar system, where it finds its final orbit, orbit forever. And every time it, it leaves, Mars and Venus start to, to go to war and just have all this cataclysm. So Jupiter was known as the first savior. And after the planets broke up and left and all disappeared to their final orbits. We have all these savior stories left over, and we don't know who the savior is. We don't know why the Jews are waiting for the next savior, or why they consider the burning bush and the mountain to be there, a representation of God at the time. Yep, Jupiter, and then we got Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, entire cities destroyed all at once, people not knowing why. This would be a planetary alignment. Mars, Earth, Mercury, aligning mm-hmm. in six in, in sorry, nineteen thirty-six BCE, causing energy stream to form between them, causing three of these five cities of the plane to be destroyed. You know, so they're looking for reasons still. And they're saying, and the deep state keeps telling people, oh, that's that's the creator God that we told you to worship. He's still angry. And if you, if you don't do what we say, then, you know, he'll, he'll show up again and start punishing you guys. So this sort of worked for a while, right? Until Exodus, 1492 BC, that's the date I found. You have this Exodus story where the angel of death passes over it's the it's Passover is a holiday for Jews and resulting in the breaking up of the Egyptian empire. So this story can be explained where Jupiter, the savior, gobbles up Venus. This is the last time that this happened and then spit it back out. When Jupiter had Venus within it, the Egyptian empire was able to say, that's, that's the God, that's Osiris. That's, that's the one that we need to worship. So you guys, you know, keep mm-hmm. listening to us and believing our idols yeah, and so forth. Yeah. And when Jupiter spit out Venus, when Osiris broke up, 
everyone saw this, the slaves, the empire, everyone saw this happen. The priests weren't able to predict it. And they all concluded, wait a sec, you guys don't represent God at all. And you can't, you know, and now it's not gods in pieces now. Osiris broke into three pieces and hid itself, its body on the earth. That's how the story goes. Yeah. Pieces were Venus, Mars, and uh, and Saturn, the original triform configuration. So jumping back and forth here. But um, the Egyptian empire essentially broke up because of changes in the earth's solar system that made the equator zones unlivable. Suddenly they're all deserts. And and mm. now we have also snow in the northern, southern regions, the polar regions. Uh, this didn't happen oh, so, before. We were saving energy evenly before that. So yeah, I, I think I heard you in, in an interview. I, I've listened to multiple of your interviews, obviously right. trying to prepare because you <laughs> are incredibly informationally dense and I wanted to be as prepared <laughs> yeah. as possible. So I, I think it was you or somebody else. Might have been Ben Davidson. I'm not sure. Do you follow Ben Davidson's work at all? No, I up. Oh, Ben Davidson is another really cool researcher, physicist in the in the realm of um, you know the fringe ends of physics and, and plasma oh, yeah. physics and, and such. Anyways, if the pyramids were harvesting of uh, too much energy, that they could have caused cataclysms as well. Hmm. Um, that that kind of theory or paradigm, basically, oh, yeah. like. And and that could have caused because I also listen to a lot of like people who do research on weather manipulation or geoengineering as they call it, which is super fascinating and deep. And we do it a lot more than people realize that we do. Um, so we're manipulating the weather for agricultural yes, reasons or yes, what have you, which I assume is a very ancient technology that was possibly used during the Atlantean elitist, you know, uh, time. And, and which leads me into we're. I, God damn it. Did I just side rail things? Were we not? No, it's fine. They're fine. I, uh, you're okay, right. So... Um, you're right. This is about suppressed technology. And uh, although I don't think that the pyramids caused cataclysm, they were essentially a response to humans trying to harness all of this primordial energy. And like I said, they didn't do it for the right reasons because at the, the pyramidal empire, the Egyptian empire, as it's remembered, was remembered as evil. It had slavery, it had usury, it had circumcision, it had all of the stuff that we essentially associate with systems of control today. Uh, people also mm -hmm. believe that the deep state, as we're dealing with it today, seems to be obsessed with that Egyptian empire as almost like they're building their current yeah. empire off of it, you know, with their with symbols and the dollar bills and in the spires in DC and London, Vatican, all that kind of stuff. So uh, the materialism, to, right? So my theory here though, is if you understand that Mars has a shared story with earth, a short story, not millions of years, but thousands and that there are humans there, even though they might be different size, that they were they're teleporting or well, teleporting, I'll say they were they're they're transporting between the planes mm -hmm. for a long time until this cataclysm happened. Suddenly Walking they days. could not do that anymore. Um, Mars wow. in the fall of the Egyptian Empire, Mars becomes a breakaway human civilization. And they have no longer the ability to communicate with Earth for a long time. For you know hundreds of years, I'm guessing. It seems like their influence is no longer felt throughout history up until literally the Crusades begin. And uh, this will be the next part of uh, what I was going to say, the modern history, you know, the, the, the human side of, of history. So uh, go ahead. Do you have a reaction there? I see your face. <laughs> Me, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, like, I'm, you know, my conspiratorial mind goes to like, yes, of <laughs> course there's humans on Mars. And that's why Elon Musk wants to get over there because, yeah, right. you know, you know, to get back to his Martian land where, where, you know, and, oh God, no, I'm just, I, that, that was, it's just, I'm like, so, uh, I, 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 I dig it. I dig it. 
<laughs> where do you? Where's does a thirty one hundred BC part come in at the at the end? Well, like, where does that information come from? Uh, what source are you using? Um, I haven't found many artists that just give a timeline. And Jno Cook, who I cite here, he's a author on Saturnian cosmology. No, not Saturnian. He he actually has been looking at all of the other uh, indigenous races, especially um, in America, and has mm. quite quite a different version of this, which really got my mind thinking. Although in his version, Earth is still uh, billions of years old, and Newtonian physics is still the name of the game. So mm. like, we don't necessarily agree, but his, his work uh, uh, dating all of these events is some of the most extensive I've ever seen. And I would love yeah. to see other sources, but I haven't found any. You know, people don't give chronologies of these things okay. just yet. And well, then, it's hard because uh, a lot of it's word of mouth, too. It's not yes. written down, you yeah. know. And then uh, what about the tilt? How does the Earth tilt get explained with this? Cosmology. With plus. Well, okay, yeah, uh, yeah I forgot that question. Um, which tilt are we talking about first? The the one, the tilt of the Earth. You mean the current tilt? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, really briefly, um, when the collinear configuration is rotating with all the planets in line, it is the energy passing through them is enough to keep the planets perfectly aligned, even though they're 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 technically turning around the sun. The, the energy keeps the planets from destabilizing, from shaking apart. In modern times, the Earth right now cannot turn its tilt. The, the angle is set, right? We all know that. And if the Earth was to suddenly tilt you know, one direction, it would be catastrophic. So my point is that in the Golden Age, plants were so small and, and, um, and they're still being born, they're still growing, that they were actually capable of staying um, to turning in that orbit without breaking apart. And oh, as they grew too okay. big, as they grew too big, they essentially broke up the configuration due to their size. And in that moment, when the configuration broke up, whatever tilt they had, they got stuck in forever in relation to the rest of the universe. This can be determined if you look at all of the planets right now, that, that the original planets have the same tilt, Saturn, Venus, Mars, Earth, they all share the same tilt. Because they tell us that the Earth tilts at like a, a degree every so often or whatever. I don't know. The well, the exact. poles are shifting, right? The poles are in a major shift and have been shifting for how, however many years. And is that a concern? Uh, there's, we, I've heard of pole shift theory. They have concluded that the poles can never actually change where they are because based on the physical rotation of the Earth, which itself can never change. Okay. okay. But the, but the uh, ma- electromagnetic hotspots can change, like where it's stronger points that are through, or is it always going to be at the poles to keep the balance? The energy from the Birkeland currents always come f- through the North and South Poles, but the energy from the sun as heat is hottest in the uh, equatorial zones, like we all know. And those regions, yeah. the heat and that energy still it still transduce a great amount of amplitude if they can be harnessed. Building pyramids in those locations essentially harness that energy. What source did you use also to find out that there is a Jerusalem, Jerusalem in Atlantis? This one. Where does that come from? Um, when I was reading Fomenko's uh, chronology, new chronology, uh, they're describing Jerusalem in Istanbul. And they're saying in the Bible that that location was modeled off of Jerusalem in heaven. And those are the words in the old Bible. I didn't, I didn't cite it to this myself. I'm just citing his, his work, uh, especially okay. chronology.org, which is a really cool website. Uh, and then, oh, nice, I, nice, thank you. I, 
I talk a lot about Box Saga, and I have talked to you a little bit about it uh, through communications before the podcast here. And uh, what's really interesting about the Box Saga is it says actually a lot of the same things that you're saying, just in a more uh, earthbound way. Right. So it does say that there was a golden age or a paradise time. Right. Uh, but that was when the earth was just at its normal access straight up and down. There was no tilt. Uh, the sun was at the equator, which where, where it still is. And, and there was no seasons because there was no tilt. The tilt is what gives us the seasons. Ah. And everybody was one human race. And after the tilt happened or the fall, you could say, then people yeah, got trapped so. in the north in the ice. And then we developed or mutated or evolved and got white skin and blue eyes for the Caucasian people. Right. And that, and they say while they were in the ice, that's when they were able to, uh, you know how people say like if we didn't have wars and stuff, we could figure out a lot more stuff. Well, they, they didn't have wars <laughs> because they were trapped in the ice mm. and they were able to figure out technology because they were trapped there. And so once the ice broke apart, they were able to leave the north and come down to the other kingdoms. What's interesting also is they talk about 13 different seed races and three Caucasian ones, three of them which were Caucasian, and the 10 kings of Atlantis, and then you have the 10 kings, right. and you have the 13 tribes of Israel and the 10 northern tribes. So you have a lot of uh, similar similar things going on. Yeah. And what's also interesting is it talks about Jerusalem in uh, the Box Saga as being also in Atlantis. Excellent. And and Atlantis is in the north in the Box Saga. It's in uh, Helsinki, Finland, or or whatnot. Right. And a lot of it actually lines up just in a, a slightly totally. different way. So it's very it's very interesting that you're hitting a lot of the same notes. That's why yeah. I'm kind of asking for your sources on these things yeah. because I want to actually go check them out for myself and try to read more into it and, and, and see if I can figure more stuff out also. And then uh, also uh, the nine realms you talk, you kind of talked about Muspelheim right. and uh, right. and uh, stuff. So do you, you think all those realms are outside of the physical earth and they're in uh, different areas? Yeah. Once you understand the nature of the collinear configuration, that you can travel from plane to plane using a simple technology. Um, like for example, the uh, Stonehenge, you know, something where it's just a bunch of rocks um, mm-hmm. in a circle, mm-hmm. that's technology. You put them in there and it harnesses the energy of the region in such a way that makes the Brooklyn currents safe to travel. How do they travel? Quantum physics describes that energy cannot be destroyed in a quantum connection. It would, it would. Uh, I cannot explain it correctly, but an uh, entanglement situation. Um, yeah. You can move from one one side of it to the other side, and then turn the machine off, and then you're there. That kind of thing. So anyway, this, this kind of quantum entanglement existed naturally in the origin times. You can move from plane to plane, and these planes were so big that the humans themselves didn't really know what they're looking at. They know the planets. They understand the physics of it. So they just said the nature of each plane. So it was hot, it was cold, it was dark, contained these kinds of people, mm-hmm. those kinds, that kind of thing. Definitely more symbology. Cool. Right. So so is that like an Einstein Rosenbridge? Since space time requires the, the uh, you know the Einsteinian equations to be true, you know, we can't really rely on the Einstein Rosenbridge analogy necessarily, because that that is sort of like a mystical bending of the universe. And what I'm talking about 
is actually an energy entanglement that is that is so intense that you can safely travel through it. It doesn't sound realistic, mm-hmm. but if you play the game Half-Life Quantum 2, Gate? Uh, yeah, Quantum Gate. If you, I've heard you describe it as that before. Right. If you play, play the game Half-Life 2, it's actually demonstrated exactly how one of these gates would zap you from one location to another. In the Bible, it's de- demonstrated as um, Ark of the Covenant is described as a teleportation device that allows you to go from one arc to another one. There is references to this in the Bible. In um, Egyptian um, testimony, you've got the boat of Ra, which can literally transport Ra from one plane to another. So these testimonies exist, and we don't have any proof that that's exactly what we're talking about. But through electric, electric universe theory, we can actually say these things are possible. Oh, okay. what what if so, that was? Um, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Dan. So it's a Bifrost bridge, uh, right? Just the way the Vikings say it, it's a it's a Bifrost where they can go to these different realms that are actually connected to our realm. Naturally, yes. Uh, okay, and so then that will bring up my last question, which is uh, the stargates, uh, stargates or quantum gates right. or or whatever. So. Do you think that it is possible to enter these stargates and transport yourself to another place without, I guess, degrading your body or cellular structure? I guess you just already answered that for me when you talked about that last part. No worries. Um, uh, we don't see these pyramids being teleportation devices these days, right? So where do we see them? Well, CERN. You got this huge project called CERN. Oh, yeah. It's a huge yeah. device that takes a lot of energy all at once and just zaps. Was it zap? Well, it's supposed to be smashing atoms. But it, if it was to release that energy into our solar system, that energy would have to travel somewhere. And if Mars happens to be in proximity to the Earth in opposition, then the electromagnetic fields of the planets are bumping up against each other. That energy is going to go to a harnessing device on Mars. And CERN could be a teleportation device onto Mars and back. Ah, okay. So, Roman, you you had more questions? Yeah, I, I mean, I was... Uh... I was just going to say, like, do did you mean, can, do you think humans are able to enter those gates now or have were they ever able to enter them? But I, I'm, I'm curious because if it is, if those, if that exists, you know, that's obvious suppressed information. Right, they, totally. There would be absolutely no way that any, you know, powers that, that, that be that could use that for any sort of military good Not would really. let us know because we would be flucking, flocking to them to harness our full human magic potential. That's a whole other episode. Woo woo spiritual goodness. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I was, I was going to say like, how interesting is it that either, um, you know, this was at a time before the tectonic plates had shifted, you know, um, so they were able to transport goods and maybe build the pyramids before the continent started to break away, or they were able to transport people to halfway across the globe over in South America to build identical pyramids through the quantum gates. And that's how they transported themselves. Cause when I brought up earlier, what was the population when yeah. they were building these thousands of things? But if they could fucking teleport, then that would explain how they would be able to go to these different places. And if those are electromagnetically hotspots, they would line up with said places that these were being built and they could possibly potentially bring their supplies and goods with them. Yeah, exactly. Use the ley lines like roads or bridges to other locations. Right. What a fantastical mystical goodness that we (laughs) we are are dipping ourselves into, sirs. Uh, So, so, uh, Ari, when you get into uh, the DE. W weapon of sure. Tartaria. Are you using uh, this 
sort of same uh, electric universe premise to describe Absolutely. how it would be possible for this mud flood to happen? Absolutely. I did this whole thing back, awesome. backwards. Perfect. Because uh, a while back, I became obsessed with the ideas that, that there actually are humans on Mars and that they've been just uh, sticking in our face this whole time. I, I'm, I'm very much into, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, Martian stories mm-hmm. for the world's huge fan. But uh, there's just so many other references, you know, like even biker mice from Mars and stuff like that. It's just been there our whole time, our whole lives. And we have to wonder, are they doing this predictive programming, which is what it is, on purpose to yes. get this idea through our heads so that we just don't ever consider it to be possible? So, yeah, I, I started to realize that predictive programming might be almost our most pos- powerful primer to solving some of these conspiracies. Yeah. It gets to the mm-hmm. why of why people would actually cover anything up. And of course, we know especially why. now, especially now with the fucking bullshit that they're putting out yeah. and how all the media conglomerates have basically been sucked up by one. Basically, yeah, by it's all Disney now. Right. Yes, and yeah, all the all the movies that are they're putting out is like it's been hard for me to watch them because yep. they're like they're just so brainwashing. But but you're you're completely right, because the predictive programming, I mean, goes back to, you know, when the. The M- I, do you know anything about? Oh, I got to get into MK Ultra on this show. We haven't done it, but yeah. Anyways, my- that it's so crazy. Please right, go. So, so let me give you an umbrella because um, umbrella for all the, those topics because, um, like I said, the mud flood topic seems to be just the most mind blowing one. It's like, well, if they could do that, then all of these other conspiracies, of course, we have to expect them. Uh, you know, that, that's they're nothing compared to what they mm-hmm. pulled off. So what is it? You know, so um, I only started researching this recently when I found out about the mud flood and found out nobody solved it yet. And that I'm the only one really investigating whether or not there is a breakaway human civilization on Mars that's sort of trying to influence human affairs. A lot of people would immediately jump to the conclusion that we're talking about, you know, ancient aliens or something from millions of years ago. But as you see in the Saturnian cosmology, we're only talking about hundreds, thousands of years here. And at the fall of the Egyptian empire, which was probably only about a thousand years ago, not very long. That's when the, the civilization broke away that they've been trying to regain yeah. control this whole time. F- using that hypothesis, I found a predictable model that started predicting all of the events, everything that Fomenko said happened in the crusades and everything that happened in modern times too. To start with, with Fomenko's new criminology, which I'll just get into briefly. He says that the first, th- first thousand years of Scaldarian Scal- Western history didn't happen. Year zero to 1053 AD was made up and yeah. all the stuff that happened there was actually stuff that happened more recently, pushed back, split into multiple duplicate storylines and just really, yes. you know, deliberate purposeful. Whitewash history. Yeah. Ugh. And that's the history we know today is just, just complete forgery. Yeah. Symbolism. And, yeah. And yet there's some primers to all of this that you can't really invent a story from scratch um, that you would never want to try because it would fall apart eventually. It wouldn't be reinforced. Uh, you want to use what's called revelation of method, which means you give out some information that then works for you, not against you. So they had to use mm-hmm. real stories. And they just lied about when they happened and where. And uh, yeah. this just this always works. They just kept reusing the strategy over and over. So my hypothesis... The original predictive programming. <laughs> right, yeah. My hypothesis was if Mars had humans on it that were desperate to reassert control of Earth because... Now they're broken away. Now they're not receiving cargo or resources. Um, they can't even have babies on that planet. It's just really bad. Maybe they can, but it's just, it's not like Earth. It's not, it's not a real planet. It's a primordial leftover Mars is compared to the Earth. And so you can understand the, the, the need that people on that planet would have for hundreds of years. They would dive directly into their advanced technology. They would use it to stay alive where they wouldn't be able to. 
it's all just sitting on the surface. Like I said, everything I need to build robots and, uh, and carve out cities and canals and, and actually live on that planet. Um, so they did this right after the breakaway of civilization. They started doing everything they need to stay alive, but they also started laying plans to reassert control over Earth. Now, how does somebody do this? Uh, you think we build a bunch of spaceships and go to Earth, right? It's not that easy. We're talking about before that technology was invented. It's also very difficult to travel through space. If you do travel through space, if you get to Earth, if you've been born on Mars in a very cold environment your whole life, you're not going to like it here on Earth. You're going to get sick. It's just going to be a lot of problems. They can't invade like that. They can't show themselves and they can't even give let us know that they're doing this. So the only plan that they had left was literally to revert back to their original plan, which always worked, pretend that they are representing invisible deities on Earth inside temples, speak to the people and say, I am your God. Do these things for me. If you do these things for me, uh, grant your wishes, I'll just slay your enemies, all kinds of stuff like that. And then these things happen. These stories are recorded many, many ways. The jinn, for example, in uh, the Quran uh, would grant wishes to people in societies that would sort of betray the rest of their society. We see this influence coming from somewhere. People say, you know, demons and stuff. But it could be telepaths, telepathic humans on Mars during opposition. They just, they're, they're, they're planning this and they're doing it because they have ancient rituals from Egyptian empire that tell them exactly how to do this. They're just They're starting all up again. So that's one. You get people on Earth to form secret societies and worship you as a god. Two, now you have to you have to actually conquest on Earth. You have to form a conquest and take over land and assert control yeah. in an absolute way. Otherwise, Divide. they're eventually going to figure you out. This apparently took the deep state, which doesn't necessarily have to be on Mars; it could be anywhere, anywhere hidden. It took them hundred years, starting with Fomenko's Year Zero, before any wars happened before the first crusades. And it was very hard for them to even get humans on earth to fight. Here's how they did it. You got the Rus Horde Empire known as Tataria by the Westerners. And this is from Russia to Siberia. It's the entire East and stretching into America as well. Grand Tataria was the first Holy real shit. empire. Right? And why was it an empire? There were no empires back then. People you know, didn't believe in emperors or they didn't money or usury or anything back then. So you didn't have empires. The first empire happened because of the first crusade. And the first crusade happened because of the Jesus story. So who's Jesus? I'm going to give you my research on the historical version. First of all, according to Fimenko, Jesus was from the Rus Horde Empire from the East. He wasn't named Jesus. They don't have letter J in the Greek alphabet or acrylic. Um, his name was Andronicus. It's Russian names. Oh. Russian names. And um, mm-hmm. he was remembered as an emperor, actually. Um, and he was called Christ because Christ means anointed one. It doesn't mean son of God. It just means somebody that's special, anointed in some way. Why was he special? Because in three different uh, testimonies, his mother, Mary, um, told everyone that she had become pregnant without you know, being conceived. That it was a virgin birth. This isn't actually unique. And it does happen in modern times. It's possible. There's also another reason that happens to her and that she's so special. She was a giant. Mary was a giant. Jesus was a giant. Compared to the Westerners, yeah, they were from the Rus Horde Empire. And in many paintings, you actually see that they are pretty big in size. They're like the size of the doors and stuff. There's this one documentary called Harry Mary. You can look it up. It's an entire testimony of the idea that she was Harry, you know, as a giant. She's just, um, just one of those Rus Horde 
eclectic kind of looking people. They, they all have different shapes and sizes and everything. <laughs> Some of them had dog heads. It's totally different from the West. I, I just recently heard that the Vatican wears like uh, some hair type garments. Have you heard that before? They do crazy stuff. Yeah, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, what, one of the things you're talking about is is uh, the the statues of the gods of the pyramids. Right. And you know how, I guess my thought is, is if they're using the sun to harness the energy and, and, and concentrate it into a certain point, is it possible, do you think, that the energy that the sun is producing is able to animate uh, the statue or something within the pyramid for it to be able to speak or just come to life and illuminate is I don't think that they came life removed, but they did resonate sound and it's not just like a speaker. It's like, it's into like, it's really into your core. It, it penetrates you. Cause I've heard stories of people that went into the pyramid and uh, had experiences where they like, seen a god or or whatnot or you know have talked to raw himself oh, totally. uh from from you know hanging out inside the sarcophagus in the king's chamber right uh, and stuff so yeah they're in a very uh, concentrated location and stuff like that could be possible if you're sitting there yeah he said it came, he came right right out of the wall <laughs> who knows man yeah uh what what i was referring to i guess is like observer effect so like when they when they throw atoms through the slit, it like hits the wall in a slit on the other side. But when something is observing it, it it no longer does that. It like spreads out over the whole back of it. Particle versus wave, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm. I guess what I'm saying is is is, is there's because I I don't understand this stuff obviously. <laughs> so what I'm saying is is there a way where they could actually harness the power of the sun? into this central object to, you know, bring power to it or, or extract a voice or some people say like maybe the, the Ark of the Covenant was uh, like some sort of ancient communications device. Yeah, or something. that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, as the- but these things would take tons of energy to be able to do so by, by concentrating that sun's energy into that one spot, you'd be able to, get that energy possibly well, or uh, no? Don't worry about the sun. This would be more about um, planetary alignments. If uh, Mars and Earth are in close proximity and you're sitting in a temple and a bunch of people are sitting on a temple in Mars and they just do like telepathy or high energy exercises or something, then that energy goes somewhere and in perfect alignment, it would have to go to one of the temples here on Earth. So periodically they'd be aware of which temples receive what energy and communication. You keep track of them. Oh. And eventually they'd be able to simulate anything anywhere you know just by keeping track of the schedules okay okay and by simulation like i said uh, stone idols that speak to people you take your kid and you say my kid's sick please heal him you put the kid on the idol and then some huge energy passes through the pyramid and your kid gets gets better it looks like you're simulating a god essentially that's all i'm saying is that Uh, i believe that the emperor or the egyptian empire was based on simulating gods and deities okay all right, that's cool. That makes sense. Uh, do you know uh, what gods are associated with Saturn? Um, not off the top, but like I said, Cronus um, and uh, and all the ones associated with Cronus usually are Saturn. 
and Kronos is the timeless God. That's why it's called, you know, that's why chronology is in in the word there because it was before time. Yeah. Time. So yeah, let me, uh, let me me jump into uh, Fomenko's chronology here. All right, let's go. As soon as I found it, I realized. Roman, shut up. Let's let him talk. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Let him talk. Nice. Uh, as soon as I found the new chronology, <laughs> I, it really clicked to me that Western chronology isn't just a mistake. It's actually redaction. It's on purpose. And that they're trying to cover up essentially crimes. Why? Why, why lie about history at all? The only real reason, if you drill for it, to lie about history ever is to cover up crimes that have occurred recently. If you enslaved a bunch of people in, in the South America, something like that, uh, you want to say it happened in the 17th century, not the 19th century, because that looks too recent, right? So that's what I'm saying. Uh, what Fomenko's uh, chronology and all of his work pointed me directly in that direction, although they themselves had no conclusion for any of it, because his chronology sort of gets sketchy around the 19th century. That's when Russia has a really dark period, has the Bolshevik Revolution, and something called the Holodomor happened in Siberia. So to this day, they don't talk about that. Um, you know, the, Russia blames Ukraine for the Holodomor. Ukraine denies it ever happened. Um, it's, it's a whole thing. So, so those guys don't talk about their own history, and neither does Fomenko which led me to the conclusion that everything before the 19th century is in question. And starting with the 19th century, essentially, you have everyone agreeing on dates and events. At, at that point, that's early this year, I found the mud flood theory. And I could not believe this theory because this happened in the early 19th century. This, a lot of people consider, led to a reset of civilization and gave somebody the perfect opportunity to erase and redact all of history in such a way that nobody could figure out what they did. And, you know, um, there's not enough evidence left, that kind of thing. And that such a, a move would be so impossible to pull off without some kind of major advantage. So let me back off, back up before I get to that part. Um, the, the crusades were caused according to Fermenko by um, essentially uh, Andronicus Christ and his family going from Crimea, where he was born, to Jerusalem, one on earth, in Istanbul, Turkey. That was like the holiest location at the time. And promoting Eastern religion. They got pantheon of multiple gods. They got, poly, uh, you know, they got uh, polytheism. They don't believe in usury. They don't believe in slavery. And in the West, in Western Europe, you have Israelites who left from the Egyptian empire. I call them Israelites because everyone does, but truthfully, these are anyone that believes in an invisible God, creator God that influences human affairs. If you're one of those people, then Catholics or Jews of Western Europe, then you believed in monotheism, usury, baptism, circumcision, and everything else that the Egyptian empire highlighted, because that's literally where the Exodus is from. So uh, Jesus, not his name yet, was majorly threatening to the Western religion. Uh, the Westerners um, were so impressed by his by what he was saying that they essentially got orders from the top from somebody to crucify this guy on a huge public gruesome display. Why? Because that would be the only thing that would reverse all of the influence they had in that region. They would say this guy was trying to say he was the son of that invisible God that we were telling you does exist. And they reasserted that that is the truth. Uh, this move was extreme. And not common for the time. Crucifixion had never happened before this guy. A lot of people think that the Roman Empire crucified people all the time. But according to Fimenko and many other people, the Roman Empire did not exist back then. It was the Roman Empire, as we remember it, 
is itself a redaction of the Rus Horde Tartarian Empire of the East. And, and so the story, you know, shifts a little bit. Jesus came from that empire, came from the so-called Roman Empire. So he was majorly threatening to the Western religion, the Egyptian religion. They crucified him. They thought that would sort of, you know, put things back in motion, uh, reassert their control. It backfired only because within 10 years, the Rus Horde Empire had organized itself into a revenge quest known as the Crusades. And they would travel all the way to Istanbul, um, which is also uh, where Jerusalem was also called Yoros at the time, Yerushalayim in Hebrew. And Yoros is, translates into Western as Troy. This is Troy mm. and the Trojan War. Again, according to Fomenko, he, he pointed all this out. And it's kind of mind-blowing, but it appears to be the case. In this Trojan War, the high walls of Jerusalem were very impenetrable. It took him 10 years to knock them down. And according to the Iliad, the only real testimony that we have of the Trojan War, they had all kinds of eclectic types of, of humans joining into that crusade. Big humans, small humans, this technology, that technology. And it says there right in the Iliad, if you look for it, that one of the people, Achilles, the, the hero of that crusade, was of himself the race of Mars. Why would they say that? Why would they say Achilles is the race of Mars? That's so weird, isn't it? So, you know, historians say, oh, they meant that metaphorically. Achilles was a son of Athena and the gods and stuff. But in Eastern testimony, he's a person. And he, he is of the lineage of giants, white giants that used to live on Mars. So, you know, it's, it's, it's actually much more straightforward than, you know, son of Athena or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, Treasure War slash Crusades happens. Istanbul falls, and the Rus Horde Empire sort of demands that Turkey pay taxes to it, when before the Rus Horde Empire wasn't about taxes, didn't, didn't do that to its own people. So they start acting like an empire, the first human empire. Um, they demand that the vassal states that they travel to are obedient to them, but they can keep all their religions and, and, and structures intact. This has always been true about the Roman Empire, but some of them have to pay taxes. So this, this clue, this thing that the Rus Empire started ordering other Western European states to pay taxes as vassal states was a big clue to me because that means that the deep state, that invisible influence that was causing all the trouble in the first place, trying to bring usury onto Earth, actually managed to get their mission accomplished, not in the West, in the Vatican area of Italy, but in the Rus Horde Empire. Somehow, they're the ones that are now the merchants and the bankers and they're imposing taxes on people. So as you can see, the deep state caused the Crusades to happen and then moved their headquarters to the Rus Empire. This, uh, this place, Moscow, they built within 200 years, second Jerusalem. Moscow, according to the old Bible, was, was again, the same design as Jerusalem. It had three gates, three ramparts, and six, sorry, six gates and three ramparts, making that Star of David shape. It wasn't, it wasn't in a shape, it was, it was, is curved towards the south, but you know, still three ramparts and six gates. They did this because they believed that Jerusalem one was a fallen holy site. It was no longer holy, lost its status because they crucified one of their most important guys, and that Jerusalem two in Moscow would now be the center of religion in the world. Fomenko said also that during the four hundred year period of the Tatarian Rusort Empire that a lot of the Russians believe that they were actually being ruled by foreigners. Not a surprise. This is my theory, right? The deep state is actually influencing the Rus Horde Empire, making them a lot more of an empire and more evil than they would have been. 
reasserting that old Egyptian empire and all of its rituals. So eventually, this remote control uh, is come to known as the Romanovs. These are Romanovs who are running the Rusward Empire, and they're becoming more and more reclusive, and they don't want to talk to the courts anymore. And they're supposed to be Christians, but a lot of them are accusing them of being secretly Western heretics. The Rusward Empire considered Western heretics to be anyone who believed in an invisible God, took orders from that God or church or priest, because they didn't have authority. They said, you guys are wrong. It's not one God, it's multiple gods. They believed in, like I said, the polytheistic pantheon, and um, that nobody has usury privileges. So the Rusward Empire eventually becomes really evil and starts the, the, um, the Inquisition against the West, Western Reformation, and the Protestants show up, and they're, and they're resisting the influence of the West, protesting, obviously, saying, we're not going to pay your taxes, and we're not going to do what you say anymore. And during this period, the Russian, the Rusward Empire starts to really fall apart. The story goes, the 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 Tsar, which one is it, Ivan the Third, he uh, uh, becomes separate from his wife, who uh, he orders to to leave the court and never come back, and becomes close to his daughter-in-law. His own son is poisoned, no one knows who, as big split occurs in the court. The uh, heretics convince the Russian Empire to kill off a bunch of their own generals in one of the darkest periods in Russian history. And then after that period, a retaliation happens and the Christians, the Orthodox Christians of Russian Empire take out all of the Western heretics. So this is the very ending stages of the Rusward Empire in the 18th century. It's disintegrating. And the Westerners are starting to really organize. They form a new movement that spreads all over the planet called the Jesuits. The Jesuits introduce a totally new version of that whole story that just happened with Crusades. Uh, Jesus is no longer, well, now his name is Jesus, and he's no longer just a person of importance. He is now the son of, of, of God, a Messiah who was resurrected, and a savior as well. Surprise, surprise, this story is exactly the same story as Horus, and... and, and uh, Resurrected. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and that the, uh, the Western version of Jesus is actually just a rebranding of the Egyptian Empire's savior, Messiah, religion. The Jesuits start to spread this religion all over the planet and surprise surprise they have technology they have really advanced technology with them allowing them to travel circumnavigate the earth this is in the 18th century and leading into the 19th century war of 1812 once i started reading about the war of 1812 i realized that this is very overlooked period in history nobody talks much about it Mm. it also happens to be the beginning of the mud flood date again totally suppressed no one talks about it so my biggest question was why did this happen and finding in this european war these crusades I found that somebody's definitely remote controlling Europe. First they're in Italy, then they're in the Rusward Moscow, and then they're in they're back in Italy again after the Rusward uh, falls. And the French Empire is starting to take over the world with the Jesuits. This plan throughout the 18th century is going great. Jesuits going all over the planet, redacting all of the indigenous races into their Western monotheistic invisible god religion. They go to India, they go to the Hindus, and they say, You guys are now Buddhist. They believe in Buddha. They went from a polytheistic Indian religion, Hindu religion, into a monotheistic Buddhist religion, which is the only difference between Hinduism and Buddhism anyway. And then they brought Buddhism to China. So these Jesuits, uh, they also went to America and uh, tried to convince Native Americans to, uh, to pray to an invisible God. That Those Native Americans were called praying Indians. It's a term for any Indian that believes in the invisible God because it was not common in America at the time. So 18th century Jesuits spreading all over the planet. To me, it looks like the deep state 
is definitely having its advantage. They waited it's like seven centuries for this plan to take mo- to take motion. The Jesuits themselves are very convincing. They're like the beautiful, small, like French, European people, Spanish. They're going into all these countries and just winning them over. Uh, if, if the original evangelists, um, they still do missions today. They still use the same techniques today. And, uh, you know, mostly works. So there was no, this was a perfect plan. It was going to work. It was going to take everyone out. The Jesuits make it to Egypt and they find a bunch of black people in Northern Africa. They're still taking care of the old Egyptian empire, sacred sites, the uh, pyramids and so forth are still being managed and preserved. Um, the Jesuits uh, find these black slaves who were there since the Egyptian empire fell. They were the slaves. The, the white people were the, uh, the masters at the time. And they say, guys, you black slaves, guess what? Osiris is back. He's resurrected. And we're, we're in charge. Us, we're Jesuits. We're in charge. And the black people are like, you gotta be kidding me with this. Then the Jesuits built the Sphinx, you know, nose and beard. This representing Osiris, Mars, sorry, Mars is a beard, Venus is a nose being put back together, resurrecting the old God. And the black slaves of Egypt, uh, who aren't slaves anymore, they're free now. They're like, oh my crap, we're going to be, we're going to become slaves again now. They're, they're rebuilding the Egyptian empire right in front of us. The Sphinx has very important significance. Nobody today really understands what it is. They think it's like, you know, an old dog or some kind of mistake or something. But actually there's testimony that Napoleon's army, Napoleon's army was the one that destroyed the nose and the beard. So let me get to that part. The Jesuit plan is working really well, spreading across the planet, spreading the invisible God religion. And then suddenly the French Revolution happens after a series of, of events that cause the Europeans to become totally miserable and stop believing in their aristocracy. They just do not trust these priests or these royals anymore. Um, they start the French Revolution the last 10 years. It's an amazing story. They tried to give the priests control. They say, we're going to try this again, government. We have a vote and you're still in charge of the parliament and stuff. And then the priests and the royals betray the, the French people by bringing in a bunch of black slaves from Egypt and saying, you guys are now citizens of France. And everyone gets a vote. This is actually the precursor to, to immigration. We, we see that immigration has been used, weaponized in the past to sort of subvert democratic movements that are arising, like the French Revolution. And the French people picked up on this and they said, wow, we, we see what you're doing here. They don't mind the black people at all. They, they're, um, they're allies and they're citizens and fine, they're just fine. In fact, Napoleon, one of his most famous generals, was black and was very influential in the Napoleonic Wars. So there was no racism back then. And the French people were just on to the deep state's plan. They said, we know what you're doing. You're trying to dilute the vote. You gave us all a vote, and they're trying to dilute it and control it with uh, foreign influences. So they depose their king and queen, kill them. They, they kill a bunch of priests again and uh, royalties and say, you know, we're done with you people out of fits of anger. And Napoleon... And a bunch of other people tried to create another government again with the remaining aristocracy that was left, the so-called Council of Ancients. These guys betray them one more time. Napoleon gives this big speech and says, we can't form any government anymore. It's over. You guys ruined our chances. Nobody trusts any, any structure anymore. So he forms a completely unexpected plan. In 1801, Napoleon gets authority from the church, the Western church, that he is the royal bloodline and that he, um, from ancient times, that he can declare emperor if he wants to. Who is already declared emperor in Europe? Tsar uh, uh, Alexander I in, in Russia has declared um, emperor, and he's trying to 
reassert control, control of the disintegrated Rus Horde Empire. So now Europe, failing to create any kind of democracy or republic, is now at war because two people have declared emperor at the same time, emperor at the same time. Now, Napoleon did this not because he's like an egotistical maniac, but I believe strongly because this one thing turns the entire Jesuit plan on itself and makes it work for the people, completely freeing them from this uh, this recreation of the old Egyptian empire. Um, instead of the uh, Rusthord old empire, which everyone hated, and instead of the Catholic church empire, which was now being created as the Roman, the Holy Roman empire, there w- Napoleon offered the people of Europe a third option. I'm your emperor, no usury, no slavery, and we're all just going to be free forever. That's essentially what he did. He went from country to country and freed them from the influence of the church, essentially however he had to do it. He went to Spain, declared himself em- his, his brother emperor or whatever it was. And he went to Egypt and destroyed the Sphinx with his army. Why is this significant? Because the, the black slaves who were, were starting to become slaves again of Egypt were too afraid to destroy the, the Osiris statue. They wouldn't do that. They don't destroy God statues. And that the Napoleon was willing to do that meant that he was proving to those people that Osiris had not come back, that they do not have to be slaves again, and that they can, and that the statue is now proper. The nose is gone, the beard is gone, because Mars and Venus are gone, um, and Saturn is by itself. So this is all a symbolic fight over religious icons. First, the Jesuits show up, build the Sphinx, and Napoleon destroys the Sphinx, uh, freeing the, um, the Egyptians. Um, what happens next? Napoleon goes to America, and under the Louisiana colony, he crosses into Virginia territory and burns the White House down. People think that the British burned the White House down, but the British state at the time was still vassal to the Russian Empire, had not declared independence yet. So the War of 1812 is actually one world war, the whole planet. It's not two separate wars occurring at the exact same time, which historians would have us believe, which is really silly if you think about it. Uh, and Napoleon was here in America, and he was involved in the 1812 war. He was the one that burned that White House down because it was originally a church of the Russian Empire. It has Roman architecture, right? If you look at the White House uh, today, yeah. right? If you look at the White House today, you go down the street to the actual church of the White House, the official one. You'll see it looks just like the, the White House with the, th- the same pillars, Roman architecture, and the big church bell at the top. Some people speculate that the White House itself had a church bell at the top as well, that it was a massive church in the first place. Um, who knows? The point is that the British had no reason to burn that thing down. They would have wanted to keep their um, their Protestant churches intact in America. They wouldn't destroy them. But um, Napoleon did have a reason to destroy that church. The Western Europe was still remembering their defeat in the Crusades and their domination under that Rusthorde Empire. All they ever wanted was to defeat that empire back. And when they had the chance, they destroyed those churches. Um, in, you know, symbolically to say you guys are no longer in charge, your religion is no longer in charge of this country. So that's my theory. My theory is that Napoleon burned the White House Church and the Kremlin. The official story uh, said the British burned the White House and Tsar Alexander I and his Russian Empire destroyed the Kremlin. That's, that's what they say, the War of 1812. When I first saw this War of 1812, the official history, I was kind of blown away. Napoleon marches 422,000 people into Russia and gets totally wiped out. How does that happen? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, soldiers would never march into a place where they'd die of starvation, lose resources. They're not so bad at collecting resources. The story didn't make sense. So uh, when I first realized this, 
um, I realized that 1812 is being covered up purposefully, that something else happens, that Napoleon's army must have been defeated by something that that army did not see coming, something completely impossible to repel, something that would reverse all of the accomplishments that Napoleon had achieved throughout the planet and reinstill fear of that invisible God in everyone again. Uh, This, I believe, is the mud flood event, which I believe was caused by a direct energy weapon built on Mars. Why? we got human civilization on Mars. They're still there. They're just waiting for the chance to restart control. If they'd given up their, their influence, then this would be up. So they can't show themselves. But this is a perfect opportunity where Napoleon has convinced everyone on Earth that the invisible God influence is not there, is not affecting us. And then suddenly this invisible influence comes up and destroys everything. Every one of his allies that ever harbored him. It destroys the Russian Empire too, the old empire of the deep state. It goes after everyone on earth um, mm-hmm. and leaves only the most loyal people, the ones that turned Napoleon away, the ones that did so because in their perspective of history, the invisible God has always won every battle and will always win every battle. So it comes down to a very simple choice here. Do you believe in that invisible influence or not? In 1812, if you did, you might survive the war. And if you didn't, you might be destroyed by essentially fire from you know the sky, something that is completely beyond reckoning. So this theory, I've been looking at it, and while it sounds kind of outlandish, you know, like oh laser, you know, that could have happened many times and stuff, uh, there is actually a primer here I found. First of all, you cannot do this kind of thing without leaving a bunch of evidence behind. And secondly, they might have left a lot more evidence behind than they wanted to. I've I've been looking at this closely and I found out a reason why this might be the case. Um, In the electric universe theory, you got people like Andrew Hall who are traveling to Western sites in America, like Utah, and pointing out that a lot of these rock formations could have only been carved by electric scarring, that they don't look like river carvings at all, cannot be explained by anything else, and that the painted rocks and the looped rocks and all kinds of weird formations are actually a lot more representing plasma physics in primordial times than anything that we see today. So Andrew Hall goes at length in his videos to explain that there is a great deal of lightning carve, lightning scarring throughout the Western um, side of, Amer- of North America. I started, led me into investigation. I started looking at old maps from 14th, 15th century. Let's see if I can find these scars. The Grand Canyon, for example. Let's see if I can find an old map with the Grand Canyon. To my surprise, I couldn't find any old maps with the Grand King. I looked on a certain couple sites. I'm sure there could be a couple I'm missing, but I looked at a lot of maps from rare, raremaps.com and a couple of places like that. And in detail, these maps have a different landscape. Small rivers, tiny mountains. There is no Grand Canyon. There is no, you know, huge Utah plains and, and places like Sedona with painted mountains and stuff in any of the old maps. And in, and if you go to Wikipedia and you look at testimony of the Grand Canyon, you will find right there it says that one of the earliest testimonies from travelers, European travelers, was that they crossed a small river and that in the location of where the Grand Canyon was, a small river and no canyon. And that modern historians don't know why they said that because they should have seen a Grand Canyon there. It's massive. I live in Arizona. I've been there many times. It is huge. So I, I started to investigate, is the Grand Canyon an electric scar? I found... a a completely amazing discovery only a few days ago. This is my theory. Electric scars, some some, uh, background first. Electric scarring follows the exact same dendrilic patterns as water scarring. Water 
scarring on rivers and canyons supposedly happened over billions of years and, and leads to identical scarrings as they can produce in laboratories in the Sapphire Project. So is there anything about the Grand Canyon that, that looks like an electric scar and that could not possibly have been a water scar? I found two locations with crisscrossing lines, crisscrossing rivers. And I realized that rivers cannot crisscross. They can combine and they can delta, but they can't cross. You know what I'm saying? If there's an existing river and then another river shows up, it's going to be influenced by the relief of the first river. It will never create a a perpendicular um, linear line. And I found two locations on the Grand Canyon that have crisscrosses. I I have to confirm this with other people still because, um, you know, this is all very emerging uh, science, but... um, I absolutely do not believe that rivers can crisscross. And if I'm right about this, then that means that there's proof the Grand Canyon is an electric scar. So why would the Grand Canyon, why would they have done that? It's just too much of an evidence left behind. It's like something we could point to today as proof. The answer to that question, the only answer I could come up with, is that the, the discharge that scarred Western America might have been unintentional, might have been accidental. And I didn't come up with this theory until, again, Andrew Hall went to great lengths to explain that it was caused by a secondary discharge, not a primary discharge. Andrew Hall says Grand Canyon, stuff like that, was caused by not not something discharging from another planet. That comes first and creates mountains, and, and the energy goes into the Earth. And then that energy eventually builds up and comes back out, out of the Earth. The energy has to go somewhere. In primordial times, energy will come back out of the Earth as a secondary lightning scar. Secondaries create relief when the primaries create mountains. Oh, wow. Once he said this, and I realized that the weapons, once they started shooting the earth with them, once they started heating up locations, destroying kingdoms, there's 50 melted kingdoms locations in Ireland that nobody knows how those castles melted or could produce the melts. And they introduced, and when these weapons started shooting the earth, they introduced so much heat, this heat had to go somewhere. They also did it so rapidly because they're so desperate to verse Napoleon's victories that the heat built up into secondary electric discharges, which then arced across the earth and carved out regions which were not intentionally meant to be carved out. This, I believe, is the real solution to the mud flood uh, mystery. Where does all that mud come from? You know, like there's a lot of it, right? Layers and layers, sometimes stories high. There's a lot more mud in the West Coast in places like Salt Lake City than there is in the East Coast. Uh, you know, there's, there's some correlation here. But, so it looks like whatever the mud flood event was, it was a lot more excessive than it intended to be. Left a lot more evidence behind than anyone intended. And now that evidence can't be explained in any other way. There's People just acted like it never happened. Um, they built insane asylums throughout the 19th century and just threw anyone in there that, that talked about it mm-hmm. until the memory finally became completely forbidden. And um, and I don't think any of that could possibly be intended by a smart, uh, nefarious force, the deep state. They would have calculated everything out to the last. They would have known this would have happened, and this could have only possibly happened because they're desperate to defeat Napoleon. So that's my theory. It could be Unless their else. plan went awry. It's a beautiful, absolutely stunning theory honestly that right there ties in because we've been or i myself have been into the mud flood for a couple of years now and there's just you know one of the there is a direct energy weapon theory because that's how some like a lot of people say liquidification you know or cataclysm or, or what have you but to do that much 
mud across right, the earth much. at the same amount of time. It has to be a huge surge. So I, I am like totally into it. Hmm. But okay. the thing is, you know, I, I, I'm curious, you know, from Mars, but what if also the technology exists here still on Earth? Oh yeah. Because we are we are able to manipulate the the, the weather that we have here. Yeah. It, that that is man, you yeah. just well, let me, I yeah. just gotta clap Thank for you. it, bro. I just gotta clap for it for a well, Let me bit. speak to that real quickly because that's kind of my conclusion here. Will this happen again? You know, can't this zap us again? Well, I think if I'm right, and the whole the whole primer of all this was that they didn't want to give up the gig, that they didn't want to reveal themselves as the invisible god this whole time, that they cannot zap us again. If they were to do that, anything like that again, then they would they would reveal it all. So this has transcended throughout the two last two centuries, 19th to 20th, into micro, micro, microaggressions. Where at this point we're still getting zapped uh, by DDWs. Yeah, absolutely we are. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, but they're starting wildfires and they're starting things that are plausibly yeah. something else, right? Yeah. So that we because I mean, yeah. because those things can't be proven. They're doing everything that can't. They went be too big. They went too big. Now they need to calm it down. But the ability to control the human psyche is really fucking easy. So I feel like we're already at the point where that, you know, through our diet being contorted, through everything being contorted, that it's just like they we're 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 rare people that are even interested at all in the the truth or reality of of how things could actually be and should it be and trying to get back to that. Um, I want to say real quick, Michelle Gibson is an amazing mud flood Tartarian lady who goes into great sci- scientific depth and has a great YouTube channel. If you're interested in any more mud flood stuff, I wanted to share that with you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, uh, I was wondering about your thoughts on Sodom and Gomorrah, if maybe that was caused from the same type of technology rather than like the planetary type thing? Well, I think in those days, the plants were still doing their thing and everyone's just watching them, like meteorologists were watching them to, to tell people weather, what to expect. And so when Sodom and Gomorrah and another city were destroyed, no one expected it to happen. It just completely just happened all at once and petrified people into stone, which is something, again, they, they demonstrated in the Sapphire Project as possible with the intense electric discharge. So people were turning into pillars okay. of salt and no one knew why. So they just eventually concluded it must have been God and he must have been mad about something. Lot did ask the angels if if there was this right. many righteous people, can can you spare us? So it seemed like it wasn't a fixed operation that they had some control over when they were going to actually hit the city. It's interesting, isn't so, it? So that's why that's why I asked about that. And then um what what do you believe is the actual date of the Sphinx then, if it's more recent? With the arrival of the Jesuits to Egypt, which I think a lot of people think happened in the 16th or 17th century. I don't know when it happened. It could have been lied about. Okay, so it happened maybe <laughs> yeah. in, in the 15th or 6th, so in the five or 600? Yeah, let me cover that real fast. Um, uh, because, because of the missing thousand years? Well, um, the first version of the empire is the pyramids. The second the second time that Egypt mattered was when the Rus Empire showed up and they wanted to bury their czars somewhere. There was no good places in Russia to bury people. It's too wet. So they decided since Egypt was one of their vassal states, it's going to be the the burial ground of all the important people, all the kings, the czars. They, you know, they were the pharaohs, but they really came from Russia. So the second thing was they were a burial ground. Damn. And the third thing that Egypt was, was restored as a religious site. And that's when the Sphinx was built. So who knows when that was. Okay, and this theory also like kind of shoots to shit the 
Aquarian age belief system that we are entering mm-hmm. the Aquarian Zodiac. age now. Zodiac in general. Because uh, because with the yeah. thousand years this, that, that are gone, then that means we're in uh, uh, 1021 AD right now. Yeah. And and there is no Aquarian age. So then are they faking uh, Revelation? Well, um, really, qu- the question is the Zodiac itself, which I believe the Zodiac is the deep state religion, though it sounds strange. It's represented by the cross, and it is the belief that the sun drifts on the um, – blah, 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 I forget the terms for it. Its position moves across the constellations. That's what it is. And, and that in a matter of 1,000 years or 2,000-something years, that moves to the next constellation in the line. Um, there actually is a reason to believe that it does not drift, that the constellations where the sun appears does, is not going to change anytime soon or ever. And that that the drift itself is actually a belief system. Either believe that the sun drifts over time on the zodiac, or you don't. And it forms the basis of, you know, uh, do you believe in calendars, in schedules, in money, in you know nine to five? I mean, you see what I'm saying by religion. All of those things are um, part of a schedule or calendar religion. And the belief mm-hmm. that the sun does not represent any kind of zodiac or age or anything like that is the belief that that is not the case. So it's hard to explain, but, um, no, I, it, it and, uh, really makes sense. I mean, it's my it's, last question is, uh, does this work with uh flat earth is, are, are you, are you a flat earth person or does this, yeah, right. uh, not make flat earth work? I've tried to find literally references to flat earth in history. And there weren't any, a lot of people look at, um, like they see something that says like a firmament or something like that, that is mm-hmm. actually explained in Saturnian cosmology. Like I said, the, um, the layers of Saturn represented the abyss. Uh, this looked like a giant ocean in the sky, and it was a firmament. That's what they called it. Um, mm. Furthermore, since there's no references in flat Earth actually in literature, I was trying to find out why anyone would even believe that now. And the, the answer ends up being something like they had to explain why why Columbus was the first person to come to America when there was plenty of ships back then, and then nobody did it afterwards for a long time, for hundreds of years. All that history and timelines redacted, but. The answer is that, um, of course, nobody believes that the Earth is flat and, and maps were available and people knew. Yet, this, the history of Columbus is completely a lie. So in order to mm-hmm. believe in the Columbus story at all, you have to also believe that people didn't do what Columbus did because they were afraid of falling off the Earth. So I, I don't see any literary, literary references for that at all. I don't think people believe that. You know, it's just something they say yeah. in school. When we talked to David Weiss, he said that Electric Universe fits into Flat Earth. Hmm. I'm sorry, I don't really subscribe to Flat Earth because it, I, it mean Flat Universe. It no, mean all kinds you're of totally. Stuff. You don't have. You could subscribe to whatever you want. But there was you're, a time when it. Earth had North and a South, and you know that matters. That there was a time like that. Uh, you're, you're on your, your website. You have person. the. Of, of course, of course, you have your on your website. You have the under the controlled opposition right. link. You have a f- tab for Flat Earth movement and the psyop created centuries ago by the Vatican which you know fits into a lot of that timeline of Jesuits coming around and spreading that type of misinformation which then again is another thing is like you know when you have the facets of control however that may be and whatever the deep state level of that is you need to have it spread out like Imagine, you know, flour sifting over softly to cover it, you know, and sugar coat things to make it very, very oh, yeah. easy um, to a keep trial there. Lots of trial there in the web. Yeah. I have a kind of an off strange question. 
Okay, so because on your on your site too, you have a, just so much shit on your website. <laughs> so it's really really deep. You can go crazy. I've been digging into oral health lately and how it's it's correlates with um you know all of the gland health within our body. You know with so we can have secretion of all of serotonin, melatonin, all those good things. And the fluoridation uh, for mass mind control link on your website is really interesting. Uh, and I want to. Do you know any history on on a more fluoride stuff and and the damages of that at all yeah i have a theory for that um, i know that's, that's kind of a stretch yes yeah like in in 1666 there was this big prediction that jehovah would show up and um the city of london burned on on that date on september 6 at 6 p.m as you know you look it up um if you add a thousand years to the timeline then you get that that year was actually 666 and that they might have planned mm. an event on that date in order to convince people that there was some kind of visible force that would show up um, same thing happened in the East, except had a different reaction. It was a Jewish guy that was telling everyone that the Messiah would show up. And then when it didn't, he converted to Islam. That's on Wikipedia. Happened in the uh, 17th century. Point is that all the way up until the early 19th century, you could find references of people hearing visions, seeing visions, saying, I was just told by Jehovah that something's about to happen. And then it does happen. And that people being convinced by this kind of thing. And then suddenly in the 20th century, people stopped receiving the visions um, you have something called the Jehovah's Witnesses, which had a prediction for 1917, which ended up being World War One, And they still think that there's going to be another apocalypse. That was the one that they're predicting, actually. That's it. That was the last witnessing of Jehovah. Since then, uh, Jehovah doesn't show up anymore. Now we've been doing our own wars. It's been World War One, World War Two, and all the other stuff of doing our own, you know, napalm and, and planes. So um, what caused people to stop hearing these visions? I would imagine that introduction of fluoride was all it took to prevent people from becoming from being telepathic. Not all of us, but the ones mm. with the real skill. Boom. I'm trying to dig a, I'm making a case study and I, I'm not I'm I'm new into you know the independent researching. So when it comes to digging stuff up online, but what I'm trying to do is the infiltration of the medicine industry, right? The Western medicinal pharmaceutical industry is is pretty well researched, but the dental industry uh, and the corruption on that side, I think, is less researched. Yeah. But to me, is equally as important because we're putting the shit in our mouths, which is a, a, a bioavailability of all of that chemical bullshit that goes right into your gums, which is correlated to your brain, the pineal gland, everything in your body. Absolutely. And in Ayurvedic medicine, the mouth is 100% connected to the wellness and whole well-being of the human body. So I that's my biggest thing right now. And so I'm just trying to to get um, as much information as I can before I try to start. Well, I got the perfect link for you. Stuff. I mean, maybe you've seen this. Holy shit. You need to know about this. Thank you. Dr. Jerry yes. Tennant. He's a um, he's in Arizona, and here in Arizona, he can do a special license to practice things which aren't which aren't uh, authorized. And he does. He um, does dentistry, and he takes root canals out because he's convinced root canals are just terrible. He has all this science mm-hmm. showing exactly why putting root canals into bodies can destroy your health all over your body, everywhere else, cause cancer and everything else too. And all the things you just mentioned. Uh, watch that video. Yeah. Wow. It's called the tooth organ connection, or like there's a map. Um, an ancient Chinese medicine right. that connects each tooth to, your to, hands, a, to an organ. That's right. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Ari, you are, you are really, really great, bro. You are you are 100% uh, an entire wealth awesome. of information, dude. Thank you <laughs> so much, I appreciate much, that. Bro. 
You put you put the fun back into this stuff, man. It is fun. Thinking, it should be fun. The thinking, the thinking outside the box, and thinking bigger than just you know the typical shit that we think about all the time. Uh, the normality of it, I guess, and and you make it exciting again, man. I'm glad to hear that. So uh, I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, tell the good people where they can find you at. Yeah, just go to my uh, website. What you got going on? Just go to my website, paradigmthreat.net, and you'll find all the info. Join our Discord. You can talk to us. And definitely watch that video I got because it explains a lot of this. Excellent, man. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, stick around uh, after I hit stop. You bet.